Hey, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, the website, www.richardserrett.com. And as always, follow the truth. Okay, guys, welcome back to this week's America show. We're going to be chatting with Richard Serrett uh, a little later on. But, uh, of course, as always, here's Graham. How's it going tonight, Graham? I'm doing pretty good, buddy. <laughs> right on, buddy. How was your... Uh, didn't you go to some sort of shamanic thing this weekend? Oh, yeah, yeah, we should talk about that. Yeah, it was a vision quest. This is us talking about that. What, you want to jump right into that right now? I guess. Why not? Well, it's fresh. Okay, so... I was at this vision quest uh, using, like, it was with a shaman and his uh, his uh, energy healer wife, <clears throat> Sarah and Kai. Actually, I'll link to them in the show notes if there's anyone. Because they travel across Canada doing this, uh, this sound and breath work healing journey. So I was there with about six people over two nights, about eight hours in total, and we... Uh, we uh, lie down there and do this breath work and we have... Two, did you say two? Yeah, it was Saturday and Sunday night. You, did you camp out or something? No, 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 no. Oh. I just you just go back to the to the room, right? So they use uh, all these ancient instruments like didgeridoos and gongs and chimes and flutes and and uh, some energy healing. And people really have some transformative experiences in there. It's pretty crazy. So he gets on you and like he'll he'll heal you and kind of like pull shit out of you. Like like uh, we were talking to. Uh, Is there like drums and? Like beats. Oh playing? yeah, like f your whole body's vibrating. Is it like live? Does he have like people there oh, playing yeah. the drums, or is it yeah, like he, a soundtrack? Well, they, they they do it. Yeah, they, they they do it, and they've got recordings too, so a bit of both. But he'll pull stuff out of you like a true shaman, and like be coughing and spitting like he was working on me, and I think he actually like threw up once. Like so, he's yanking something out of my uh, something evil out of me. What was it? Did, did something he... I didn't need. Oh, he didn't have to face it. No. He just pulled it out of you. Yeah. No, when we had a chat beforehand, uh, like he would go around and sort of do like this channeling sort of reading session on everybody and get a feel for sort of where you're at. And it Indian was, it was good. It was good. No, no. Oh. He's, I think he's uh, from Europe, Europe somewhere. Oh. Anyways, very powerful. A couple of the women there had huge transformative experiences. Like they released tons of uh, negative energy from past uh, traumatic experiences. So it was uh, pretty fascinating. Huh. So they travel across Canada and they're in Calgary every once in a while. I'm going to link to it in the show notes for anybody that's interested. It's definitely you know worth worth checking out if you're interested in in uh, sound and breath healing, shamanism. So was that the same one you went to back before? Yeah, similar, very similar. Wasn't yeah. the same people though? Yeah, it was the same people. Really? Yeah. Like gypsies. Kinda. Nice. Probably pretty cash. It was great. It was really there was a lot of love love in the room. Was it just the three yet? No, there was six, like th those two, and then uh, six of us, I think. One, two, three, four, five, six or seven of us. And they did they do lots of crystal shit? There was some, I brought some crystals. Sweet. <laughs> all about the crystals. Not all about it. My wife's a crystal healer. I know, I know. She'd be interested in that. Probably, yeah. Yeah. She's busy. Or having a two-year-old and being pregnant keeps her pretty busy right Yeah. Now. So you've got some uh, some fan mail and some hate mail you want to share. Yeah, yeah, we got our first hate mail, so that's, that's pretty good. That's, exciting. A, that's a milestone in itself, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. Uh, can't make everyone happy. I'm not really going to get into the logistics of it, but uh, basically, someone who just doesn't uh, like our swearing. 
So they say it's childish, and to that, I, I suppose all I really have to say is... Dragon! Oh, I've never f***ed a baby dragon before. Just need to be alone so I can study without a bunch of ponies trying to make friends oh, all the time. Oh, come on. <laughs> Twice in a row. No, look, I understand uh, people feeling that way. And, you know, look, here, you and I gravitate to these podcasts that are kind of casual. There's no censorship. The people swear. Like, that's kind of what we gravitate to, right? So that's the way, that's the way our style is. And, uh, but I understand people having a problem with it. My mom has a real hard time with it. She was like, I, I tried listening to you guys. I just can't, I can't handle the swearing. I'm like, Mom, you swear? What's, what's the big deal? You, you know, you can't handle a swearing. She's like... You shouldn't be swearing on the air. <laughs> and I'm like, Mom, we're not on the air. It's a pre-recorded podcast for anyone who wants to listen. So if people don't like the swearing, they won't listen to it. No, and then me and, and then, you know, I'm chatting with her on the phone, trying to help her with her cable connections and the, the input button on her remote control and all that. And she's going, fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm like, Mom, you're swearing? And you, you don't want us to swear at our podcast? You should watch your mouth, Graham. Your mother's always right. That's true. Anyways, I love you, Mom. There you go. <laughs> He'll watch his language. <laughs> yeah, but we had uh, our fans stick up for us, uh, namely our Kiwi ambassador, Jared Drake, went in and uh, basically told him if he doesn't like the swearing to listen to something else. Because uh, he made the point that he thinks our swearing, and, or not just our swearing, but our casual manner kind of helps us get a little extra out of our guests, it seems, makes them feel a little more comfortable or whatever it is. Uh, they seem to be comfortable talking to us. So, yeah, I agree. It's been it's been pretty successful so far, and and not in that way. Like not that we're looking for success, but I mean we're just want to chat. We want to chat about people in an open environment, right? Talk about some stuff that that people don't maybe uh, normally want to talk about. Yeah, or that uh, we haven't heard before. Yeah, yeah. So uh, speaking of that, we want to welcome new listeners in a few countries such as Indonesia, the United Arab Emirates, Singapore, and Vietnam. Those are some of the newer uh, listeners. So you probably know who you are because you're probably, uh, there's probably only one or two downloads from there. So hello and welcome to Grime America. Yeah, thanks for coming, guys. So what else do you want to say about that? I was looking for the Good Morning Vietnam clip. <laughs> I remember that. That was pretty good. So, yeah, and of course, we got a few other uh, uh, emails this week, too. We had uh, one from uh, Merlin, Evelyn, I guess, in Puerto Rico, said saludos from Puerto Rico. Keep up the good work. We had David Zer stepped in and says, uh, well, first he started on Mysterious Universe, and then they did a show with Micah, so he started to listen to the Graylian Report. And then uh, he heard us on the Graylian Report, and now he's hooked on us. And now after our... Uh, interview with Matt Matt Staggs he says he's going to track down the uh, disinfo cast to listen to that one yeah very cool yeah that's kind of how you go down this rabbit hole yeah that's pretty much the uh, definition of the the rabbit hole I would say just don't stray from Grimerica too far oh I think we'll be okay so what about uh, Jim Dexter didn't he say something too yeah Jim Dexter uh, he uh, mailed it and said that we're his new favorite show and he loves that we even talked about why he loves our show on our show. Uh, and he says, to him, there's nothing better than listening to people, intelligent and open-minded people just sitting around and talk, talking. Totally entertaining, and you're doing a great fucking job, you bacon-loving bastards. Keep up the great work. 
Is that the guy that, that said that we had him right when we uh, started our Nick Redfern interview talking about how he had a shit ton of books or something like that? No, that was uh, someone else. We did uh, we did get a lot of people coming over from the uh, the since the Grailian Report interview. So a big thanks again to Micah Hanks for for getting us out there again. Speaking of the Grailian guys, um, <clears throat> we wanted to mention too they've been having some uh, cyber attacks, and a little bit of IT trouble. So if anybody is interested in donating a little bit to this. Uh, this cause the Grayling guys do a great job over there they're setting up a big conference the paradigm symposium so uh you know it would help them out with some of their technical troubles if uh, you want to go over to the Grayling and hit the donate button yeah for sure uh, help them out in their time of need so uh hopefully that's that was kind of fucked up because our website went down the Grayling went down and the daily grail all went down really? in the span of like a week and a half i think and somehow the MU Mysterious Universe website stayed up, but they got sick. Yeah, they ended up sick. So maybe uh, they, they caught it at the last minute, so they were poisoned. <laughs> I was actually sick, too. It delayed the release of, I think it was a Michael Cremo episode by a couple of days. But luckily, we did. We had all the recording done. It was just the editing. So I can edit when I'm half sick. I don't have to worry about trying to to regale everybody. Yeah. So speaking of conspiracies, uh, obviously there's lots of stuff going on in the world right now. Looks like uh, I don't want to get too into politics, but... Hey, hey, hey. It was an accident, bro. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? What was learned was that NSA had inadvertently, accidentally pulled <laughs> the emails of some Americans in violation of their own rules. What was learned was it was an accident, bro. NSA in, had inadvertently, inadvertently or accidentally, accidentally or pulled both. the emails of some Americans. Uh, some Americans. How many? Like 300 million? All of them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Along with half the globe. But hey, man, it was an accident, bro. Just chill. Yeah. It won't happen again. That's right. The big news is Syria, I suppose. I uh, mean, yeah. As much as uh, we're not uh, that type of show, it's pretty hard to ignore. Yeah, it is. I know. I don't really want to get it too much into it, but I got a clip here from uh, Thrive. I like what Foster Gamble has to say about some of this stuff. So uh, he's he's talking about what's really happening in Syria. So it's kind of halfway through the clip. It's like 15 minutes long, but I can play a little bit of it here. And it's, it's titled, What's Happening in Syria? Parting the Veils of the New World Order Assault on the Middle East. Let's look for just a moment first at, at what might be really going on. And I want to suggest that obviously, you know, beyond any sham of democracy and human rights, that this is about resources. Uh, it's secondly about eliminating uh, resistance in the Middle East to the domination of Israel, which, remember, is only on the surface of it a Jewish entity. It's really a creation of the Rothschild Zionists as a center for consolidating world power in the Middle East. And again, this plan has been in place since before 9-11 uh, to uh, basically destroy all the cultures over there, take over the resources, and uh, keep them from stopping the advance of the New World Order. And then uh, I also want to mention the, the fundamental financial interests uh, behind all of this, because the dollar um, is only has any value now because the U.S. military is behind it and because 
uh, people are still having to use it, particularly in the to to buy oil. Oh, that's good for that one. But it gives you an idea of uh, of what that's all about. And then uh, I linked uh, onto one called uh, the Road to World War Three, and there's a little clip it uh, of that, and that's coming from the Thrive website too. There. In the meantime, they established sanctions, which U.S. officials openly admit are aimed at causing a collapse of the Iranian economy. Syria is Iran's closest ally, and they are bound by mutual defense agreements. The country is currently in the process of being destabilized with covert assistance from NATO. And though Russia and China have warned the United States not to get involved, the White House has made statements within the past month indicating that they are considering military intervention. It should be clear that military intervention in Syria and Iran isn't being considered. It's a foregone conclusion, just as it was in Iraq and Libya. The U.S. is actively working to create the context which gives them the diplomatic cover to do what they already have planned. The motive for these invasions and covert actions becomes clear when we look at them in their full context and connect the dots. Those who control the United States understand that even if a few countries begin to sell their oil in another currency, it will set off a chain reaction and the dollar will collapse. They hmm. Yeah, well, I heard today, I think I read something on Twitter that said uh, Russia and China have walked out of UN talks on the matter and Holy shit. Iran's threatening to attack Israel if uh, they attack Syria. Oh, Iran or Syria? Syria? Iran is wow. threatening, yeah. So this is crazy, man. Like, it's, it's even different over a few years ago. Like, if this was to happen a few years ago, it wouldn't be so visible either. But it sure seems like uh, everybody kind of is questioning the motives now. Yeah, well, you watch. You know what's going to be is they're going to end up going to Syria because they heard something from their PRISM program that tell them something about Syria promoting terrorism or some shit, right? So they're going to... To justify get, the they're listening? Gonna, they're going to get their war in Syria and justify their spy program at the same time. Mm. Where'd and, you hear that from? I, uh, I'm just coming up with it. I think oh, I, 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 see, I got it? started with it on Twitter, but I've been working oh, on it. And now mm. I'm saying it's going to happen probably Saturday or Sunday over the long weekend oh, you're even while everybody's camping that. and oh. fucking drinking and carrying on uh, the U.S. will tax area this weekend. Well, it'll, the, by the time this is out, you'll know, we'll know if I'm right or wrong. Uh, no, I'm releasing it tomorrow. So this weekend, if you're listening to this before the long weekend, then uh, I'm saying that uh, whatever's going to happen is going to happen over the weekend. Wow, you're throwing it out here like they're actually going to attack, or 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 they're going to like commit to an attack. Uh, like it's going to happen that fast? You think? I think so. Yeah. Wow. So does that have something to do with all that FEMA Region Three? I wonder, or is that a separate uh, conspiratorial issue? I don't know what, what the fuck that's all about. Who knows? It seems like something crazy. Is yeah, this is, it's just weird, man. Lots of stuff's going on. Okay, let's save that for another episode. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I was reading today, I think at the Huffington Post, about there's this, this endangered de desert tortoise that uh, it's somewhere in Nevada, I think, maybe. And they've got like 1,500 of these endangered tortoises that they, they get grants every year to to give them almost like, uh, I guess, a sanctuary. And uh, they got their funding cut, so they plan to start to kill them off. They're going to they're gonna go through them, decide which ones they feel are fit to be released into the wild, and the rest they're going to euthanize. Really? Are they going to use their, like, shells for anything? I don't know. 
So it seems why wouldn't you just let them all go? I don't know. And just because they know them. they know a bunch of them are going to die probably or something. Or maybe it's dangerous to let them all go in the wild and then it'll change the environment or something like that. Well, I don't know. You brought them all in there. It's kind of <laughs> who did they did they did I guess. Well, they take people are supposed to take them to them when they find them. I think. Oh well, maybe we should grant them human rights and then they wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> seems like a stretch. <laughs> like, didn't they do that in, with the dolphins in India or something? Like I don't what's... know. I think all they need is like a million dollars every couple of years. So it seems kind of crazy that they can't afford that. Mind you, it is like, like it seems kind of crazy to me that those are the kind of expenses you're cutting right before you attack another country for no reason. That, that's going to cost hundreds of billions of dollars. You can't give the turtles a million bucks. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. When you get into expenses of the governments. Who knows what the fuck's going on? Um, on a lighter note, did you... Well, I don't know if it's a lighter note. It could almost be a scarier note, but I guess they're growing mini human brains in uh, labs for the first time. Really? And this is actually on newscientist.com. So it's not like even... You know, it's, probably, it's pretty legit. Not crazy fucking out there shit. Here's a clip. I, don't, I haven't watched it yet, so it might be shitty. Oh, I think it's shitty. Is it another one of these silent clips? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. There's some music. It's just like pointing at shit that I can't understand. <sighs> Fuck. Good prep, buddy. Yep. Yeah, it's just, well, the music is not bad. Oh, it sucks. Oh, well. Uh, what else do I got here? I got Japan is opening up internet fasting camps. This is actually from Vice. Uh, Japan is opening up internet fasting camps because half a million students are pathologically addicted to the internet. Wow. What, so what, like a fasting, it's like internet rehab kind of? Yeah, they just go there and they have fucking, there's no internet, no Wi-Fi, no nothing in the, in the entire place. And it's like outdoors, out in like the mountains or some shit, I think, or out in the country at least. So how long do people have to stay there for? Um... I'm not sure. It's probably a good idea. Well, yeah, I think, and I guess fucking it's a big problem there. I'd imagine it's a big problem here, too. It's just we don't notice it because everyone's fucking addicted to the internet over here. Yeah, I bet. What's it going to be like once you're plugged right in directly to your brain? Fucking crazy. And then uh, we've got more evidence that life on Earth began on Mars. I guess now it's a, geo, oh. it's a geochemist. That's come out and saying that. Uh, I'm not sure if I've got uh, his name here. Professor Stephen Benner is now arguing that the seeds of life probably arrived on Earth in meteorites blasted off Mars by inf impacts or volcanic, volcanic eruptions. So it just uh, won't go away, the panspermia theory. I think that's pretty funny how that just keeps hanging around. Yeah, but I don't really get it. If what was so special about Mars to have life to begin with, then like why, why, uh, why start there? Like it doesn't make sense to me that it wouldn't be all over the place then. Anyways, well, it could just be because Mars is so much smaller. It probably would have maybe formed faster. And it uh, seems like now that we know it's been dead for fucking however a, 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 a billion years, it probably had a big head start on the Earth. Like the Earth was probably still forming when Mars was already. Formed. Did you see this NASA? Uh, interview about water on the moon surface that's come from deep underground. 
fucking weird, dude. I'm I'm looking at the exact same article. Really? Right. Well, I don't know. I'm on uh, messagetoeagle.com. Message to eagle. Scientists using data from NASA's moon mineralogy, mineralogy mapper have detected magmatic water, water that originates from deep within the moon's interior on the surface of the moon. So the moon has fucking water on it. The moon could have life on it. No kidding, especially on the dark side. Haven't you seen Transformers? Is that where like the uh, is that where the fucking the cube or whatever it was was? Or there was uh, some base there or something? Yeah, it was a base. There could be a base. I, I was actually looking at something else on before it's news today that that fucking showed a little picture of a base that was allegedly from a NASA photo too. Well, yeah. Why aren't we? Why why isn't there complete photos of the dark side of the moon? I think this was on the, even on the bright side of the moon. Well, the, you, the sun shines on both sides, but we just can't see one. It's not really the dark side. It's the unseen side. Right. So we should just not call it the dark side. Well, it's the dark side to us. We're, it's fixed, right, in its orbit? I don't even... Is, yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. But it still sees the sun when it's... We'll have to ask one of our guests, upcoming guests, about that. <laughs> Yeah, so what, well, either way, it's pretty fucking crazy. Then we were both looking at it at the same time, that's crazy too. But water on the moon, we got to go drilling now, no? We can already get there, we might as well go drill there. Yeah, might as well. See what we can find way the fuck down there. Instead of uh, drilling asteroids, there was an article about uh, NASA committing to asteroid uh, mining too. So I wonder what our old uh, guest there, Philip Metzger, has to say about that. He yeah, must be, I'd uh, like to go there and drill right into the middle of that fucker. We'll link to that in the show notes. That's a cool picture. You can almost see where the water bubbles out of the middle and then freezes. Like it's going to make a pyramid almost. Huh. Eventually that's going to turn into a pyramid as the water comes out hot and then freezes. Or Oh, that must turn to liquid during the day. Why a pyramid? Well, if something, if hot water keeps coming out, just like hot magma coming to the earth makes islands and shit and mountains. Yeah, you know what I mean? pyramids, though. How does it get pyramid Whatever. It looks like a pyramid. Oh, Maybe it'll off. look like a face. <laughs> Maybe. It kind of looks like a butthole. <laughs> but the moon gets incredibly hot when the sun hits it. So that must turn to liquid and almost even boil away, no? I don't know. I'd like to know more about that, too. We should maybe get in touch with Phil Metzger again down the line and yeah. ask him about it. Yeah, there'll be a lot of updates uh, in that, even that short amount of time. Uh, on that note, maybe we should take a quick break. Break? You ready for yeah, a break? Sounds good. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. <laughs>
Okay, guys, uh, welcome back from the break. Uh, we got a special uh, treat here because RPJ is going to join us for a little uh, surprise segment. How's it going tonight, RPJ? Hey, guys, glad to be here as always. Yeah, it's good to have you. Uh, just so happened that uh, Red had some free time tonight and we were recording, so we figured we might as well uh, jam, in, jam in some more content. Yeah, perfect. So we haven't planned this out or anything, but do you got anything fresh and new from the world of Fortiana? I do have a couple of interesting news I've already developed during the week. Ah. Um, let's see. For example, let's talk about our favorite uh, math genius scientist, Mr. Elon Musk. You know how he's been making the news with all... Uh, He's uh, very wa way out there ideas about creating this ultra fast transport system. Yeah, oh, the train, shit, the train right? one. No, it's yeah. the tubes, isn't it? The tube, the underground tube. Musk uh, developing these tubes, these super fast underground tubes. I don't think they're underground. Oh right. Yeah, in fact, they are not underground. They will be above ground. That'll be quite the fucking view. When you're going past the landscape at like five thousand miles an hour, is it? Is it? Are the windows you'll be able to see anything, man? No, you're just like in it. I don't think they will. No, I don't think it will have any kind of windows. I think it will be tightly sealed. I doubt it will be made of uh, uh, plastic or some transparent materials. Yeah, maybe it'll feel like you're in those little massage chambers. Have you ever done those water massage chambers at the airport? Like you lie in this thing and it's like this enclosed capsule and this water spray massages you. Maybe they could set you up with one of those while you're traveling in it. Maybe it will be kind of problematic for people who are uh, afraid of confined spaces, you know, claustrophobic. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. But for the ones who are able to endure it, you know, they will, they might be able to make a trip from uh, Los Angeles to San Francisco in just 30 minutes, which is pretty awesome if you think about it. How long does it take to fly, I wonder? From where? Los Angeles to San Francisco. No, what, what did you say? From where to where? Los Angeles to San Francisco. From Los Angeles to San Francisco. Yeah, that's got to be less than 30 minutes, isn't it? Yes. Oh, no. In a flight, I think it's probably about maybe an hour. But I, must... I think it's probably more. You but think so? We sh yeah, but we should investigate it. Yeah, I think it's because uh, I think Krippner and uh, when Krippner and Rogan or Krippner and uh, Chris Ryan were on Rogan, I thought they said the drive was about three and a half or four hours. It's an hour, 20 minutes from L.A. to San Fran flying. So you're going to cut that in half in the tube. Yeah, well, and hopefully it will require, require less security issues, you know, trying to check out your bags and pass through the security oh, yeah, good points point. and all that. Yeah, you, know? yeah, you cut that. There's another, add another hour and a half onto uh, that whole fiasco of flying. You have to be at the airport at least one to your flights and all that. I wonder if it'll be cheaper too. Okay, but the reason I wanted to bring Elon Musk to the, to tonight's discussion is because there was a very interesting uh, article published at uh, The Verge about how he managed to create 
his own uh, version of the Iron Man laboratory. You know, you remember like in the, in the exactly like in the movies, Tony Stark is designing his Iron Man suit like in a kind of a holographics uh, interface, and he's just waving his hands and moving, you know, components and bringing them together. Oh, I love that. You know, yeah, I, I love it too. I, I, as an industrial designer, that's like my wet dream, you know. But amazingly enough, it seems that Elon Musk managed to to create a real life uh, a interface that allowed him to design, uh, incredibly enough, the design parts for his rockets in, in, in his company, SpaceX. He tweeted about it. Uh, on August 23, uh, he said, we figured out how to design rocket parts just with hand movements through the air. Seriously. Now need a high frame rate holograph generator. I think and we then, were... Oh, finish up. Sorry. Sorry. And then John Favreau, you know, the director of Iron Man, uh, asked him, like, in Iron Man? And Elon Musk said, yeah, we saw it in the movie and made it real. Good idea. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, he's going to give uh, uh, next week. I think he's going to release more details about this uh, interface, which sounds really, really cool. We were actually just talking a couple episodes ago about how the new Android phones—you don't even have to touch them; you can just do different gestures, and they pick it up. And we were actually talking about how far ahead fucking some people are probably are with that technology. And I guess, I guess now we're finding out. Yeah, exactly. I mean. Uh, this guy is definitely a visionary. It's like uh, the 21st century. Uh, I want. I don't want to say Edison because I really don't don't like Edison. Like he's like the 21st century Nikola Tesla. Tesla. I was going to say. Yeah, you got to say him. Even though Nikola Tesla didn't end pretty well by the uh, by the end of his life. Yeah, but Tesla didn't have the internet. Yeah, very good point. <laughs> so good. that's what I love about those movies, right? Like uh, the other one like that that just came out with all the holographic design. Like because of the creativity, you know, it, it, it almost makes it look like it's actually physically possible for us to do that. Yeah, for sure. You know, like an artist will envision this and then uh, uh, someone with a more technical uh, mindset will become inspired and try to f look at the way to uh, be, uh, bring it to real life. Yeah. 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 We've talked about that before with like uh, the generation that watched, grew up watching Star Trek invented the flip phones. Yeah, Ex exactly. Hmm. So what else you got for us? Well, now we're talking about uh, using computers and trying to interact with them with waving your hands. No without uh, a mouse, without a keyboard. But yeah. now there's an even uh, more radical news that came out on MSNBC about how two scientists were connected on different, on different laboratories, right? And they were connected using uh, some kind of brain interface. And one scientist was playing a first-person shooter video game. And whenever he wanted, he was thinking about uh, pushing the fire button, but not actually uh, touching it. The other uh, scientist at, in the other laboratory, his finger 
was receiving the signal and his finger was m moving and uh, according to the other guy's thoughts wow so mind control yeah and i'm wow. like they say the world of my control zombie armies might have gotten just a little closer they've probably already been there for a while maybe it's very possible you know we've seen uh, previous stories about how uh, scientists tried to hook up to rats uh, brains so they have a brain-to-brain -brain link also or, or also how some scientists uh, were trying to control the uh, rat's tails and also moving the the the, the tail uh, instead of the rat itself so in this experiment was, was the second guy also playing the game or was mm -hmm. he he just like in uh, like sort of doing nothing he was like doing nothing with his hand right. over a keyboard. Wow. And so it was the a... other guy's thought of pulling the trigger and it would affect that guy's hand or finger. Yeah, there's wow. this as a video explaining it and I'm, I'll sh I make sure to send it to you so you can add it to the show notes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe Obama's uh, mind controlled. <laughs> I don't think that's necessary. I mean, I think that once they actually go and sit in that Oval Office, you know, and they are debriefed in how complicated and how frail and tenuous these systems uh, that we're all depending on is, they realize that their sole job is trying to keep the shit together, you know, at least for the next four, eight years until it's the next guy's problem. Yeah, in the intro, we predicted that it falls apart this weekend. <laughs> no, so you are being very optimist now, huh? Yeah, no, well, not really, I guess. I, we're, I, we were mostly talking about conflict with Syria. Will happen over the American long weekend when everyone's camping and drinking and barbecuing. Is it American um, long weekend too? Yeah. And our, and us, yeah. So while everybody is watching Miley Cyrus twerking, oh, <laughs> that's yeah. when the bombs will drop. Exactly. <laughs> Did you hear? Uh, I, I'm going to play this again in case RPG hasn't heard it. We played it in the uh, first segment, but I, I can't really get enough of it. Okay. What was learned was that NSA had inadvertently, accidentally pulled the emails of some Americans in violation of their own rules because of... Did you, did you get it that time? In violation of their own rules, yeah. Because those are more important than the Constitution of the United States. But, well, I've said too much already. <laughs> yeah. I like how he says it was accidental. Whoops. Whoopsie doopsie. Yeah, well. So you guys really think that the proverbial fecal matter is going to hit the fan this week? Yeah, but that's what I predicted in the intro. Mm. I've pieced it together between Twitter and a few other, some no agenda and a couple so of YouTube videos. This is what I don't get. The fact that they announced, you know, we are going to launch an attack no uh, further than next Thursday. Like, okay, so, so you are preventing you, the enemy uh, about your plans? You know, kind of a long way since 
the the days of the surprise attack the, yeah yeah landing on the beach of normandy yeah yeah i think what it is and i was there's so much uh they're so confident that they can uh they're almost trying it's like i think more of like a threat tactic yeah. to hopefully yeah. scare them or maybe they also want to see the reaction of the other players like the russians the chinese and John Worth in in the in his last appearance, he was guest uh, of Micah uh, on the last episode of the, the Grayling Report. He he advised listeners to pay close attention to Turkey, because in his opinion, uh, the way Turkey reacts is going to play a big role in, in all these in this scenario. That's the exact same thing. Uh... The No Agenda guy said? You know Dvorak was saying that fucking mm. watch Turkey. Turkey's the fucking... The most the, progressive. The huh? real fucking... Yeah. The real show. Interesting. Hmm. You, that's two, like, totally opposite ends of the spectrum, too, saying the same thing. Hmm. Yeah, well, the two smart guys reaching the, the same conclusion from very different angles, you know? Yeah. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. But speaking about people who have uh, in, uh, played roles in past armed conflicts, I think what what's to me the biggest uh, news in the Fortune realm this week was the sad passing of Mr. Jesse Marcel Jr. Oh, yeah. You know, he died of a heart attack at the age of 76 on Saturday, August 24th. And I think that with him dies like the last true uh, first-hand witness of this very controversial case we call the Roswell event. Yeah, hmm. I almost wanted to. I almost wanted to. Uh... Is that the? Don't know. The deathbed confession guy was Area Fifty One, right? Mm, yeah. No. 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 This. This. Uh, this was the son. Of Major Jesse Marcel, the one, the guy who went to the to the field where there was all these uh, strange debris with Mike Russell, and then allegedly he woke up his wife and his young son to show them this debris, and yeah. uh, and, and he told him that it was not of this earth. Yeah, he was definitely the closest guy left to this whole case. Yeah, a man who actually hold in his hands these uh, pieces that we've been speculated for yeah. uh, over 60 years. Yeah, the memory metal and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I w when we started this podcast, we were thinking of not ever talking about Roswell and Rendlesham. Like, we had a couple uh, <laughs> a couple, a couple of cases to boycott, but you kind of have to talk about it when something like this happens. Like, it's pretty big news that uh, that he's gone now. I feel the same way about Roswell, you know, I, I, like our friend Nick Redfern, I'm tired to, uh, to death of uh, trying to think of Roswell as the end game of the UFO phenomenon, like, yeah. you know, the way that we're finally going to convince the world that uh, UFOs are real and aliens have been visiting this planet. But on the same time, well, uh, we, there's no denying that this is a, a, a historical event, you know, the passing of this 
major key witness in this uh, what's uh, quite likely the most famous UFO, UFO case in the world, for better or for worse. Yeah, and it always will be. Like, there's no getting around it. That uh, nothing else will sort of overtake it to, you know, to become the most popular. The only thing that will is if something happened that would force disclosure right now. Yeah, and everybody uh, involved in this case uh, very much agree that uh, Mr. Chitty Marcel was a very honest and reliable person. You know, the fact that he was. Uh, such an uh, such an outstanding citizen was the, uh, that in 2004, uh, when he was in his late uh, 60s, he went to Iraq. You know, he was called back into duty. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. October of 2004. In, and in said, a medical role, wasn't he? Exactly. Yeah. As a flight surgeon. Yeah. You know, he was what? a, a, a six-year-old man, and they yeah. sent him back to fucking. Well, he he probably he volunteered, volunteered, right? He must have volunteered. He was part of the National Guard, yeah. you know. Yeah. And he was called to duty, and he responded the call. So, you know, even though I really don't agree with the purpose of those conflicts, I cannot deny the fact that this man served his nation proudly, you know, and with honor. And yeah. We should uh, respect that. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, so, well, very well, Mr. Jesse Marcel, you know, rest in peace. Yeah. Did you see, uh, did you see that uh, thing in Spain? You must have seen that. Spain? Yeah, wasn't it Spain where that uh, that horned uh, thing washed up on the beach? Was it Spain? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I wrote about it on the last Red Bills of the Week. Yeah, the horned sea monster. <laughs> yeah, we actually talked about it in an intro that we ended up scrapping um, a few days you wanna, ago. But we had, you want to talk about it now? No, I think it's, well, we came to the conclusion that it was a shark skeleton. Yeah, most likely. So it's Although too, too bad. The, because yeah. the first picture I seen, I was like, "Fuck yeah!" That it totally looked like an old Chinese uh, sea dragon, serpent, or sea dragon, or something. Yeah. Yeah. What I found quite interesting was the fact that it 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 kind of looked like it, it the head had these big horns, you know, and it washes up in Spain, where bullfighting is such a big tradition. You know, I can't find like a bit. Ironic. Yeah, that's good. A little slap in the face. Yeah, maybe they could have some kind of uh, subaquatic bullfights. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very badass. Oh, that was crazy too. I was, I, we were, I was looking at your red pills today before we went on, and I was just before we went on, I was uh, going off on Graham about. Um, I'm, I'm reading this before Atlantis book by Frank Joseph. Uh, we're having him on in a, in a couple of weeks, and I'm reading the chapter on the aquatic ape theory. And mm. it's like it's the first time I've really got down and gone through that theory, and a lot of the shit he says is uh, is pretty interesting. And then I, I went under the red pills like five minutes later, and all of a sudden I seen that uh, you had written about uh, the same thing. Yeah, and the reason I, I decided to touch on the subject was because of these uh, two videos that surfaced last week one showing a chimpanzee i think it, uh, it was called cooper 
and the others showing an, a young orangutan, I think it was called Sania. Well, anyway, showing these two uh, big apes swimming on a pool, which is something like completely uh, unheard of until now. Yeah, I just I thought it was pretty synchronistic. Like, and that's the first time I've really delved into that aquatic ape theory, and it does it makes a lot of really good points. Did they train? Did they train these to swim, or did they just learn on their own? I think it was like kind of half of half. You know, trying to show them uh, the basics, and then the the these two apes uh, figuring out on their own how to do a a a, a, break, a breaststroke. You know. Obviously, the way that a, a human will perform the breaststroke would not be the same as a, 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 a chimpanzee or an orangutan. You know, orangutans, they use their the legs as if there were two extra pairs of hands, of, of arms, you know. So it's, it's quite interesting, you know. And obviously, an skeptic will say, well, this doesn't prove anything, you know, this doesn't prove that the aquatic ape theory is real. And you know what? It's absolutely true. But at the very least, it shows that maybe we should reconsider that uh, some of the our ancestors may have, have spent some uh, a lot of time close to the shores, you know, trying to, because, you know, the, the coastlines are such an ideal a place to find nutrients you know you have you find a, a seafood a shells a, a fish all kinds of things you know it's it's it's, it's a very uh, ideal place to inhabit and the reason we haven't ha found um, something in the fossil record to confirm that uh, these ancient hominids inhabited the coastline was obviously because the, the sea levels have risen uh, uh, since the time of, you know, the last ice age. So all these places now are underwater. Yeah, I like it. It made a lot of sense to me. It was pretty, uh, pretty interesting shit. I'd like to, uh, I definitely, I can't wait to talk to him now for sure. Yeah, but we should be mindful of saying this one thing is to say, okay, maybe ancient hominids inhabited the coastlines. And another thing entirely is to say, okay, so this confirms that mermaids exist. <laughs> you wow. know, like that, like that mockumentary that the Animal Planet uh, produced uh, some time ago. What about mermen? <laughs> well, if there are mermen without mermaids, I pity those bastards, you know, because they will live very lonely lives. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because uh, maybe it's like fucking we're a cross between humans or between apes and dolphins. Right? Yeah. A, a, well, mon a monkey fucked a dolphin and here we are. <laughs> 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 That's good. Those are the sounds of love. <laughs> That's it. I don't know. That's I my don't... new theory. I'm going to write a book. So where's our blowhole? <laughs> if I if I have to ask, it's a uh, hmm. <laughs> belly button. <laughs> okay, mystery solved. <laughs> yeah, it's just sealed over now from years of uh, years of non-use. <laughs> yeah, you need to clean that shit together so you can blow some steam. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, fuck. That'd be just a whole new genre of porn, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's not go up there. No, let's not go there. Reel it in, Graham. So, okay, let's let's change change pace here, then. Okay, so, let's talk about uh, other kind of legends. Let's talk about uh, some recent archaeological discoveries in Denmark that kind of confirm uh, uh, this epic poem of Beowulf. Beowulf. Yeah, Beowulf, huh. sorry. Yeah, it was re- published on the Daily Mail in August 26th, and it discusses uh, the discovery of uh, an archaeological site at, let me see here, a site called, uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it correctly, Lechre in Eastern Denmark which was the center of one of the most powerful Viking kingdoms from the 6th to the 10th century. The town is considered by scholars to be the most likely site of Herod, the hall of King Hrothgar, where the events of Beowulf are set. So obviously as a fortune, I'm I'm, uh, inclined to ask, okay, so if the site where the, the epic poem uh, that the epic poem discusses was real, you know, then uh, it's, it makes you wonder, what about Grendel? You know, what about this uh, monster that came to the mid hall, you know, every time there was a, a, a party, you know, and, and killed all the, the attendees? That will be kind of uh, 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 when our friend Lauren Coleman uh, joins us on, on on the next episode. You know, it will be interesting to to ask him his opinion about uh, the Beowulf poem, or and whether Grendel was maybe some kind of uh, you know uh, a, a Bigfoot or a, or or a Sasquatch. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the last interview I listened to with uh, Lauren, he doesn't think he thinks that. Uh... Bigfoot and Yeti and all those different apes are totally different species, eh? Obviously, but yeah, but but they're talking. We're talking then. Oh, we're talking about a giant hairy uh, ominous. I've never seen Bale. Bale. Oh, it's good. It's a good Is show. It? You should watch it. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Yeah. There's Maybe... a movie called uh, Beowulf and Grendel, which is pretty good. Yeah. Maybe Grendel's. Like a Sasquatch with uh, that problem, like the dogs have when they lose their fur, like what a chupacabra really is. What it was it called again? When they have mange, uh, maybe it's a a mange. Bigfoot with mange is is Grendel. It's a it's a Bigfoot <laughs> mutt. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I, I think the poem uh, it really doesn't describe Grendel, you know, in in detail. You know, it's, it's it only it refers to it as an as an orc, orcus, or something like that. Yeah, but every time you see an artist's rendition or in a movie, it's always got this creepy skin and, like, shiny, scaly, smooth kind of skin, like a like a giant golem kind of thing. Fucking golem, eh? He was way creepier than I expected him to be. In the movie? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. man. Fucking, fucking awesome character. Yeah. Precious. Well, that was good. That was good. <laughs> My precious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we should ask uh, Coleman about that. See where see where that fits into all the legend and folklore. 
Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, uh, what I think uh, most modern cryptozoologists agree is that all folklore and myths uh, have a kernel of truth, you know, that, that where their origin uh, is, it might come from an actual real event. There's your, there's your goal. There you go. Yeah, thanks. Did you guys like uh, The Hobbit? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a little too drug, drug, drug out. Drug like, out. like it was, it had it exciting parts at the beginning and then it's like they just, they kind of just, add, it's like they're adding a bunch of shit just to make it longer. I don't know. I it definitely wasn't as impressed as I was with Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I think that the next one, the desolation of smoke, is going to be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, really and the can't... third one will be good too. So, do you guys want to talk about uh, other kind of conflict besides uh, uh, wars with dragons and wars with orcs? What kind of conflict? Well, when we'll be talking about. Uh, Whatever it is that it's going to happen next Thursday, but before that, apparently, uh, someone calling themselves the Syrian Electronic Army took down the New York Times and the Twitter and the Huffington Post. I heard something about the New York Times website going down. Yeah, you know, last week on the Red Pills, I discussed some rather intriguing uh, uh, shutdowns of very large uh, internet uh, companies, you know, that was, uh, first it was the New York Times, then it, I think it was Google, then I think it was uh, Outlook, SkyDrive, then came Amazon, and then even NASDAQ was shut down. But obviously, they all, in all those cases, they alleged to technical difficulties. But now with this new development, I really wonder if it wasn't a, a hacker attack, you know? That's crazy. They could probably shut down fucking power stations and shit from the other side of the planet. I think that that is within the realms of possibility, but I only think that the United States and maybe Israel are capable of something like that. Maybe the Chinese too, but the Syrians, I don't know. But do you think it could be a false attack, though, you know, in order to beef up security or something like that? I don't know, man. I mean, uh, it's easy if, if you see that uh, a large company like the New York Times, it's it shut down for five minutes and then you can boast and say, hey, that was me, you know, look at my math hacking skills. <sighs> so it's really difficult to tell at this point. I think that the New York Times uh, shutdown is being uh, pretty confirmed by now. But about the other ones I've discussed, you know, last week, maybe I'm just uh, making uh, unwarranted connections. Maybe you're drawing a long bow. Maybe, you know, but that, such is what we conspiranoids, tinfoil wearing. <laughs> Team full of hats. 
used to do. Somebody's got to. Somebody's got to. Somebody's got to take out the trash. Yeah, and no, why? Why does Alex Jones have to have all the fun? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can make this crazy uh, alleged uh, allegations too. Damn it! Yeah. Buy seeds. <laughs> Micah is great impersonating him. Yeah, he does a good Alex Jones for sure. He hasn't done it in a while. Maybe I should email him telling me bust out the Alex Jones again. Maybe you got to cease and desist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has to be careful, you know. If, if, if Micah, 20 years from now, starts to put on some weight and he st starts to lose some weight, then he, <laughs> he'll become like a blonde version of Alex Jones. <laughs> He's the paranormal Alex Jones. But we won't let him because we love him. Yeah. Cause we cosmic love him. Exactly. So that's all I've got, guys. Yeah, I think uh I think it's uh we've we're probably about ready to wrap it up anyway. We've got to uh bust into our inter interview with uh Richard Serrett. So um for those of you who don't know Richard, he's the host of the conspiracy show, uh both the T V show and the uh and the radio podcast, show. the radio show, I think yeah. he's in 21 different uh, different places now. So, uh, and the interview went great. We got another another fee, another exclusive coming to you in the interview here. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, great. So, thanks for thanks for coming in, RPJ, and uh, uh, we'll hopefully have you on in the next couple of days here again. Actually, when we when we reschedule with uh, Lauren, so happy to be here. And until the next time, guys. guys welcome back to uh, the grimerica show we're going to be chat chatting with richard serrett of the conspiracy show uh, he's got the tv show and uh, the radio show out of toronto i think it's zoomer 740 yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's got uh, vision tv.ca the conspiracy show uh, tv program seasons one and two i've seen a lot of those are pretty cool and uh, we've both been big fans of richard's for uh for many years now, I've been listening to The Conspiracy Show on podcast. Uh, you can also listen to it on AM740 Sunday nights from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. And he's, uh, he's got uh, affiliates all over North America now, I think. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the show, Richard. It's great to chat with you. Hey, guys. Great to be here. I hope you don't mind. I'm just uh, parked out in the backyard on a beautiful uh, starry night. My little boys are camping out in, the, in uh, the backyard, so I'm keeping an eye on them. So it's just uh, you, me, and the crickets. <laughs> and the stars, I hope. Are you sky watching oh, at yeah. all? Well, uh, it's not a great 
place. You get quite a bit of light pollution here, uh, so it's not a great place for stargazing, but it, it's a clear night anyway. How was it? Uh, how were the stars over in Greece? Ah, yes, the family. We were we were there for five and a half weeks. Just got back on the fifteenth. And if you go up into the mountains, uh, Kalamata is a fairly large city by southern Greece standards, about a hundred thousand people. Mm -hmm. But if you, and, the, and the light is fairly substantial. But if you go up into the mountains, they are absolutely breathtaking. Uh, you can actually see the Milky Way. Uh, it's just uh, awe-inspiring and uh, just refreshes your spirit, really. Uh, I, uh, if I had time, uh, I, I could just sit, park myself in a chair and look up all night. Uh, it's just, you know, we, we don't appreciate that anymore because we've lost darkness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't have true darkness anymore. And um, I think it affects us both spiritually and physically. In fact, there have been studies done on this. But... Um, yeah, uh, it's if you ever get a chance to you know get away from the city lights and just uh, reflect and, and look up at the night sky, it's it's quite remarkable. Yeah, that's good that you're still able to do your show from Greece too. Um, well, I tried. <laughs> yeah, I know it was good. We, I heard them all, and uh, yeah, Greece has has got a special place in my heart too. I was there for at least a month uh, when I was twenty, and uh, <clears throat> I still think about that quite a bit, traveling around and the sunsets in Santorini and, and uh, the Peloponnese and driving up to Turkey, the big castles on the coast. I mean, it's just incredible. It has a lot to offer. You have the physical beauty, to be sure, and then you have the, the warmth and the legendary hospitality of the people, which, you know, despite the, the economic crisis and the strain, it, it's simply not reflected um, in, in, in the people that you meet. They don't talk about it unless you press them about it. Uh, in fact, you know, it's, it's fascinating. You go out at night, and the tavernas, the tavernas and the restaurants and the cafes are jam-packed. And not just with tourists, with locals. And, and, and I, um, I couldn't understand that for a while. You know, you know, where are all the signs of this economic strife? And, and finally, uh, the, my, my wife, uh, whose family is from Kalamata, said, well, the Greeks, they live for today. Yeah. And uh, they let tomorrow worry about itself. So... Yeah, unfortunately, one day, you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid the reality will settle in over there. I hope uh, it's it's not too harsh. But for now, uh, the Greeks are just uh, uh, going on as usual. Yeah, you know the old saying, tomorrow never comes. What's yeah. that? <laughs> you never heard that? No, I've never heard that one. Never comes. Well, unfortunately, it does, and it will. So uh, could you give us a little background on just how, how you came to be uh, kind of into, into the conspiracies and, and how, you, how you came about with the show, which is absolutely fantastic, by the way. I appreciate that. Thank you. Long story short, I was producing talk radio for about 10 years. What I, what I like to call work-a-day reality type talk shows, you know, where you're uh, lining up the provincial minister of education to talk about the impending teacher strike and all that kind of stuff, that work-a-day reality, that ground sort of eye-level uh, stuff. And I was, you know, I was very confident at it and, and did a great job, uh, but I've always been interested in what I call the big questions. And they were always sort of gnawing at me, you know, where, where do we go when we die? What happens to us when we die? Uh, is there life elsewhere in the universe? Uh, who's who's running the show? You know, here on Earth. Uh, so, when I finally got my own show in the late '90s, 
and I had to figure out how am I going to fill three hours on a Sunday night. It was at that time at CFRB 1010 in Toronto. It's kind of a legendary blowtorch station, 50,000. Uh, I just sort of naturally gravitated towards that, those kinds of things. And not all at once, though. Part of the show dealt with UFOs or conspiracies or what have you, and then the other was just sort of a typical talk show. But gradually, uh, it kind of took over. The, the listener response was tremendous, and I just sort of, sort of started to find my voice. And, and um, uh, I guess about a, maybe a year and a half, two years into it, it was uh, sort of conspiracies, paranormal stuff, pillar to post. And, uh, again, did very well. In fact, I was beating coast to coast in the Toronto market wow. in that time slot. Huh. So I, I would have been up against, you know, on the weekend, up against the weekend edition of Coast, which at that time I guess would have been Ian Punnett or yeah. whoever. When was that? Uh, this was in the early 2000s. Okay. And, um, I mean, I, 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 uh, I'm a huge Art Bell fan. At that time, Art Bell was, you know, sort of the Monday to Friday guy at uh, and I, he's the type of broadcaster that I could listen to just reading the phone book. <laughs> and so he's always, he was kind of a professional role model for me, his storytelling abilities. And um, anyway, so yeah, that, the, the, that was the early incarnation of the show at CFRB. Uh, I went over to 640, AM 640, another Toronto talk station, to produce the morning show with my a longtime colleague, John Oakley. And um, over there, I was doing a Friday night uh, show, uh, again, conspiracies and the paranormal. But uh, I kept getting preempted by uh, sports. 640 was heavily into sports at that time. They, were, they had the Leafs, they had the Marlies, they had the Argonauts, they had the, the local lacrosse team, the soccer team, what have you. And, and uh, pretty soon it was like I was, I was preempted more than I was on. So. Mm. I thought, you know, I'd, I'm not going to let this go, this show. I've worked too hard. So I got invited back to CFRB to do um, Monday to Friday. I was doing five nights a week. And um, did that for about two years. The station got sold. They made some big, you know, budget cuts. Out the door I went. Uh, I was like the second wave of about four or five major cuts across the, uh, the network at that time. And... Then in August of 2009, I landed at AM740, which is kind of an interesting or a kind of a weird match because they're primarily a music station, mm. station, but they dabble in talk. And uh, yeah, so I've been doing the show there, which is great because 740 is a 50,000-watt clear channel, which means at night my show can be heard all the way, well, from Thunder Bay, probably Ontario, all the way south to the Carolinas and from Maine to Minnesota. So the snowbirds kind of, you know, can follow uh, 740 as they drive down to their uh, their uh, their winter haunt. Uh, and then fairly well, within the last year and a half, I started syndicating the show. I have a syndicating uh, a syndication consultant out of Chicago, and thus far, I'm on 20 uh, 20 affiliates in the U.S. and counting. I've got a couple sort of pending. We're hoping we'll sign on in the next couple of weeks. So we're kind of building that brick by brick. Wow, very that, good. Yeah, sorry. I, I, that was going to be a short story. And yeah. it, <laughs> no, sorry about that. No, it's good to, to hear all that. Yeah, the show really seems to be taking off. It seems like almost every other week you're announcing uh, a, new, a new affiliate signing on. 
Uh, yeah, it's a uh, an overnight success story, 15 years in the making. <laughs> so, um, so speaking of that, then I mean, I don't know. I've got so many questions to ask you here. Um, um, hmm. I met you at the UFO Congress. Um, That's right, Graham. Yeah, that was, down uh, in Phoenix in February. Yeah, that was great to uh, to see you there and chat with you a bit. And I just wanted to know your thoughts on that and if you plan on going again or going to more of these? Well, I went down there uh, for the TV show. We're, uh, we're in production, actually in post-production on season three, and the conspiracy show airs across uh, Canada on Vision TV, which is available on, on basic cable. And in parts of, we're also in parts of uh, Europe and, and Africa now as well. Uh, but I, yeah, I go to these UFO congresses and, and uh, conferences and, and, uh, and the like because it's a very efficient way uh, to do interviews because you've got, you know, 20, 30 great guests all in one place yeah. at one time. Yeah. So it's very efficient that way. I can, you know, I, I go there with a small crew, set up in a hotel room, and um, I, can, I can do, you know, probably four or five episodes while I'm down there. Yeah, and get a bunch of small bits even. It doesn't have to be long interviews, but just, uh, yeah, exactly. get a bunch of small ones. Yeah, so that's, I, I really enjoy going to those uh, conferences, and, and uh, I, unfortunately, one of the downside is I don't get to go to the action and listen to the speakers. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, most of those people I've had on my, my radio show or the TV show, and I get to sit on, you know, down with them one-on-one, so I guess maybe that has, that's sort of the upside. I don't get to hear them speak live, but I get to, you know, talk with them in person for an extended period of time, so, yeah. but I, uh, I don't. It may surprise people that I don't make a habit of sort of going to, you know, conspiracy con or UFO conferences uh, outside of, you know, television production. Uh, I I really have worked hard at compartmentalizing my life. There's, you know, the radio show and the TV show, and I talk about 9/11 and UFOs and JFK and Agenda 21 and all that stuff. I'm sure you guys cover as well. Uh, but once I I wheel into the driveway, close the door behind me. Um, that world doesn't exist for me, uh, for the most part, yeah. unless I'm doing research at home, uh, just to preserve my sanity. I, I don't know how you guys deal with that. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say, like, how do you leave the stuff at work and maintain that balance? It's, it's, uh, it must be a challenge. Uh, it. Well, surprisingly, no, it's not. Uh, it's it's quite a welcome relief to actually leave it behind. Not that I, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I thoroughly enjoy it. I am totally absorbed by it uh, during my my working hours, and you know my working hours are considerable. Um, so it's it's actually it's it's almost like you know when you're, you sit down to a meal and you have that sorbet to sort of cleanse the palate. You need that before you move on to the next course. Uh, so my home life, very precious to me, and uh, it's, it's, it's very easy to shut it down. Just, I mean, there's too many distractions at home anyway. I've got twin six-year-old boys. <laughs> um, my, um, my, my wife, the mighty Aphrodite, she's a going concern. She's got a business uh, on the side, and I help her with that when I can. And, you know, just the day-to-day life, shuttling kids back and forth to school and tennis lessons and, and piano and what have you. So it's very easy to sort of uh, to leave that that subterranean world behind for a while, and and you and I need to. 
Yeah, you don't want to. You can go too far down that rabbit hole and end up like uh, a certain Texan fella that won't remain nameless. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You. You. Um, you need to. Uh, talking about conspiracies and and uh, you know what's going on in the world and the nefarious you know individuals and secret societies and so forth that are out there. And I do. I'm as a. I'm an Orthodox Christian. I. I believe in the Bible. I believe that that evil prevails in this world, uh, and it's very, you know if you talk about that for too long, you you can get very cynical, and you don't want to bring that home with you, especially when you've got a young family to raise and you're, you're trying to instill in them certain values and uh, a positive outlook on life. So yeah, you yeah. could you could very easily get dragged down into a into a world of uh, despair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is not for me. So what, what's the uh, what's the latest in the the thing? I suppose that'd be the the Princess Di, the new. The, what are they doing? A new investigation into Princess Di's death or something like that? Yeah, this is curious. I don't know if there's a lot of meat on them bones, as they say. There's, <laughs> there's some scuttlebutt about from an army, an unnamed army source, saying that a, some military person within the British Army was responsible for her murder. Uh, I don't know where it's coming from. We don't have a lot of details from the British uh, press. Uh, but this uh, coming Sunday on uh, the radio program, uh, my old friend uh, Jeffrey Steinberg, who is uh, the director of counterintelligence at, at EIR, Executive Intelligence Review, uh, is going to join me, and we're going we're gonna to find out what's what with that angle. Uh, I don't think it's a full-blown uh, investigation. I think they're just going to maybe... Uh, what did they call it? Um, uh, consider, consider the information or what have you. But we're not going to see like a full-blown uh, Paget project, you know, which was like two or three years, uh, endless testimony, hundreds and hundreds of witnesses, except for the key ones, apparently, you know, like the people who saw the white Fiat Uno in the tunnel in Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I don't know. The curious thing to me is how the mainstream media is 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 reporting on these things now. We had we had the Princess Diana thing, as you mentioned. We just had uh, Area 51 uh, popping up in the news in the mainstream media because you know the CIA is now acknowledging its existence through documents released by the National Archives, which is a total non-story because the CIA. And I mean, it's been acknowledged for 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 years mm -hmm. that there was an Area 51. Um, maybe they didn't always call it that, but it's funny, you know, the mainstream media is like, I guess they're playing catch up or they're realizing they're looking at their dwindling subscription rate yeah. and they're grasping at straws. And yeah, something. Because they also talk, start talking about, uh, you know, weed and uh, marijuana too on a couple of those, uh, like CNN was even talking about that. So that's something that... Uh, that's a huge story. You're right. Sanjay yeah. uh, <clears throat> Gupta, uh, their medical correspondent, just finished a documentary called Weeds weed and he's done a complete about face now and is coming out and, and saying you know we we, we got to end this stupid uh, uh, war on drugs and we have to seriously embrace marijuana as a, a natural remedy for everything from you know Parkinson's to uh, autism to what have you you know so yeah that's an interesting front too I, I've explored that a little bit with uh, Kevin Booth yeah Director yeah. of American Drug War, and uh, he's featured in an upcoming episode of the TV show as well. Oh, okay. About, uh, the, 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 the war on drugs. So. And the cannabis oil. And... Yes, absolutely. He talks about that in, in American Drug War, too. Uh, you know, it's, 
there's a lot, there's so much going on on so many fronts, like your program, my program, and, and, and others that tackle these issues. Uh, it's almost like, I don't know, not vindication, but um, the, it's, if we're not careful, guys, the stuff that we're, we're going to be mainstream in a couple of years. Yeah, that <laughs> seems to be the way it's going. It's like I, I, I bring a lot of it to things like social media and, and the, uh, the Internet's starting to spread more and more into the globe and you just can't you can't keep you can't keep shit down anymore like it's just there's the you can information can travel too fast nowadays yes and uh, people are voting with their feet uh or with their dollars and they're 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 flying away from mainstream media in droves whether it's network television and the network news or whether it's uh print uh and uh I think it's a good development, ultimately. Um, you know, some people are worried about the disintegration of certain institutions, but when it comes to the mainstream media, I, I, they have not served us well, the mainstream news organizations anyway. Uh, in fact, you know, I think by and large, they've really done a disservice. They've abandoned the, the playing fields when they were needed most. Yeah. Uh, uh, when instead of assuming the role of a sort of a scorpion and stinging like a scorpion and, and challenging authority, uh, they decided to sort of rally around the flag. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure that this is a product of the concentration of ownership and so forth, and we're all familiar with what's going on there. But yeah. a very disappointing, uh, the, the lack of genuine inquiry by the so-called fourth estate when it comes to things like uh, well just just, just you name the it. issue yeah. you just name it whether it's whether it's 9-11 or whether it's uh, it really hit home obviously for, for many of us on 9-11 but it really hit home again for me uh, in um, in May of uh, was it 2011 when Osama bin Laden was supposedly killed again. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, here we had no body, no DNA, no real eyewitness, nothing. Uh, and yet the mainstream media picture. took it on a, the government say-so, that this is the way it went down, despite all the evidence to the contrary that he probably died, you know, c around Christmas of 2001. Uh, and um, it's just like they just rolled over yet again. And, you know, you can name, there's so many other examples of that, whether it's the, uh, the, uh, the, the Bush uh, stealing the election in 2000, and then again in 2004, uh, or, uh, gosh. Yeah, know, it, I, goes, it goes on and on. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes all the way back to when the CIA had, what, 400 people on the on the payroll of the, the mainstream newspapers. And I mean, I, I think it's just, we've never been Even the same the latest since. with the NSA. Yeah. 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 And, and they've, they've totally misread the situation with um, Snowden. Uh, I mean, I think if you were to, I, I feel pretty confident that if you were to conduct a poll, the overwhelming majority of Americans and, and people around the world uh, are behind this guy. Now, you know, whatever the, the motive you can get into, well, he was, he was a plant, the CIA trying yeah. to embarrass the NSA, whatever. Yeah. Put that all aside. Just the fact of, you know, uh, what he supposedly did. Uh, and yet the mainstream media, again, news people seem to be siding with 
you know, the John McCain's and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Obama administration on this. Again, totally reading, misreading their readership, not understanding the sort of the Vox Populi. And, and that's why people are abandoning them because they, people, you can't, people can smell it, you know, they know that, that, uh, the, um, the newspapers and the, and the, uh, the, the network television news, they're just, they're uh, shills for the corporations. Yeah, and I agree. I think that's what's happening is people can start, they're starting to see through this facade. Yeah. And I think they're sick of it. They're generally yeah. angry. Yeah. Have you seen much, uh, Vice? Have I seen much which? Vice.com. Have you seen any of their stuff? Or I think they have a new HBO oh, Vice. show, com. too. Um, no, no, I haven't, to be honest. Um, I, I probably should follow them more often, but, um, you know, there's so much stuff out there. Yeah, it's hard to pick. And uh, it uh, is. Pick and and I, you kinda, sometimes you kind of settle in, you get kind of comfortable, and that's, that's not a good thing necessarily, but you get kind of comfortable with your, your sources and yeah, your yeah. Uh, sources of information, and you kind of go with that, but... Uh, yeah, I probably, what I need is a producer to uh, kind of shake things up and maybe, <laughs> you know, say, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen that? You should be reading this. You should be reading that. As long as they don't hit the internet kill switch, and then we'll all be fucked. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's another huge story. Uh, and, and how, you know, they're using uh, what is, uh, you know, unquestionably one of the most heinous, you know, crimes known today, which is, of course, uh, you know, child pornography and child trafficking, and that there's no, you know, question that that exists and it's a huge problem. But they're using they're using that obviously as a as a as a, as a weapon to uh, to stifle uh, a discourse on on the internet, and unfortunately, not unlike the phony war on terror. Uh, I think people are gonna uh, people are gonna buy into it, and they're going to they're going to accept fewer liberties for some perceived you know security. Yeah. Yeah. And as Jefferson said, those who do that deserve neither. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, I think actually, uh, what's his name? Eisenhower had a quote about yeah. that. Too. If you want security, go to prison or something. Like yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was something along the lines of if you want three meals a day and a warm bed and and absolute security, go to prison. And the only thing you have to give up is your freedom. Yeah. yeah. You know, if we often we, you look back and people think of Eisenhower as this bland, you know, Republican president during the bland 1950s, but that guy was he was dangerous, man. Especially when he was leaving office, you know, he was just shooting his mouth off, oh, yeah. which is often the case, right? I mean, Presidents are great once they leave office, like Jimmy <laughs> Carter. Never mind his politics. I'm not uh, certainly not a you know a kind of a left you know leaning Democrat, but once they leave office, I don't know what happens to them. But I wish they had those you know balls when they were sitting in the Oval Office. Eisenhower's exit speech has got to be more popular now than ever before. Absolutely, sure, and and so spot on, you know. Yeah, yeah. The last yeah, like almost yeah, 50, 50 some years later. Yeah, three yeah. years later. <laughs> so, is there anything that's too fucked up for you on your show? Like anything you won't touch? Um. Well, yeah, there, because um, uh, because there are so many 
haters out there in every field. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, the conspiracy tent, which is a very big tent, it, it has its fair share of haters as well. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do Holocaust denial. I'm not going to do, um, you know, the the Zionist conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get into any of that nonsense. Yeah. Um, uh, and they're out there, you know. They're they're um, unfortunately they're <laughs> they got their nose under the tent and they're looking for an end. So you got to be I got to be vigilant. Oh yeah. <laughs> keep them out. Yeah. It must be hard because the I mean <clears throat> it's hard enough with our show with uh, you know we don't even call it a conspiracy, but people automatically assume it's about conspiracies. But your you know yours has the big label the conspiracy show, so you're really you're really throwing that out there, saying like this is what we talk about here. Yeah, um, to be quite frank, um, it's with some regret. It was kind of a branding decision because yeah. we had the TV show and the radio show and. Both Vision Television and AM740 are owned by MZ Media, Zoomer, Zoomer Media. Um, so it was kind of a cross-promotion thing, and it it scares some people off. Yeah. Uh, let's say, for example, I want to talk because I, I mean I, I talk about a, a wide, it's a pretty broad canvas I paint on, and yeah. a lot of the stuff really I don't even consider conspiracy. It's a, uh, like Lyme disease, for example, what's going on with Lyme disease. Uh, and so, or or um, the, the you know fluoridation in uh, in public water. Yeah. And if you want to get a credible person on to talk about it, they're very reluctant because they've already been branded oh uh, as a tinfoil hat wearing nutter, you know, yeah. because because they they don't agree with fluoride in the water. So now here I come along and I want to have a serious conversation with them, and then they see the conspiracy show and they say, well that's the last thing I need, you know, because every time. I open my mouth. Someone, you know, quotes, uh, um, you know, uh, Kubrick's uh, Doctor Strangelove. You know that that whole scene about fluoride. Uh, so it, it it has its downside, but um, it is what it is. Yeah, it's it's kind of the name is kind of in your face, and it tells you what it is, which is all, in in many respects, I guess, a good thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's yeah. I talk about. Um, Alternative medicine, alternative energy, alternative archaeology, uh, ufology, of course, yeah. uh, and just even just cool stuff like mysteries of the universe. It's not really doesn't fit into any of, any of those boxes. Or you know, what's the latest in technology? You know, like uh, these three three D printers that uh, one day will be able to replicate themselves. Or you know, the, the latest on invisibility cloaks. I love that stuff. Yeah. I was talking about that stuff, too. <laughs> um, geez, that reminds me of a oh, dream you... I had. Can I tell you quickly yeah. about this dream I had? <laughs> Just because it's the invisibility cloak. All these yes, people, all these, <laughs> all these people were pointing up at the sky, going, "Can you see that? Can you see that?" And it was like that Predator movie where the the light waves are reflecting around this thing. And this right. thing was flying in the air, and it was like kind of half invisible. And all these people were kind of noticing it, and it lands on the ground. And I was trying to, so I went up to it trying to take a picture of it. And I was right underneath it, just about to take a picture of it. And my, my iPhone uh, cracks in half and disintegrates into dust. And I ended up throwing M&Ms at him to try and, like, I thought it was like a guy. So it was a crazy dream, wow. but anyways, it went wow, on a I bit wish, from there. But I wish Freud were here. He'd yeah. have a field day with that. <laughs> Sweet. Sometimes an M and M is just an M and M. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Maybe we can get M and M's to send us a case of M and M's now for this. 
Um, so speaking of all these topics, we know what your favorite is. It's probably JFK. So besides that one, uh, what what else do you uh, like really kind of groove to? Um, it, it's funny. I, I mean, I talk a lot about JFK and it's an anniversary. I guess it would be up there among my, I don't know if it's, you know, when you're talking about a tragic death, whether favorites is yeah. a word, but uh, um, I guess the ones that I'm most interested in, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in in um, uh, cases which are loosely called targeted individuals or TIs, uh, electronic harassment, people who claim they're victims of electronic harassment or organized gang stalking uh, or mind control. This, to me, is a very curious one because I, I've met a number of these people. They seem very credible, very sincere. Something's happening to them. Uh, they're often dismissed as being you know, mentally ill. Um, and yet... We know that, for example, when it comes to electronic harassment and, and these people complain about hearing these you know, voices, and they're not schizophrenic. I have some experience with schizophrenia. I think I can tell, you know, if someone is schizophrenic. Um, and they hear these voices in their heads, and, and we know, I mean, you can go on, on online and, and you can find the patent for voice-to-skull technology. There have been a number of variations on that. Wow. Uh, and when it comes to, you know, behavior modifying behavior from a distance using, you know, some sort of a radio wave. You go back to the 1950s, you can read about it in the, uh, the New York Times. If you go into the archives and Dr. Jose Delgado back in the 50s attached these electrodes to this bull and uh, was, there's a video of it, I think, on YouTube. He was able to stop a charging bull in a track just by pushing a button on his radio transmitter. And he pushed another button, and the bull stopped, turned to its right, and obediently trotted off. <laughs> and this is like this is in the late 1950s, and yeah. this is this guy Delgado was uh, a professor at um, I believe it was Yale University's medical school. So he's not some kook, you know. Yeah. That's 60 years ago. You know what are they capable of doing now? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, that whole field is is of great interest to me as well. Yeah, uh, and, and that's some of that stuff I, I really haven't heard uh, in many other places, like the TI stuff. So that's interesting. Very fascinating topic. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then uh, uh, and then you get into sort of the, uh, the mind control aspect of it and MKUltra uh, and whether, for example, suppose certain gunmen like Sirhan Sirhan and, and Mark David Chapman were Manchurian candidates, but not programmed assassins, but programmed to be patented basically. In other words, they were programmed uh, to stand there with a gun, uh, but they didn't actually fire the shots. I mean, I have no question that Sirhan Sirhan um, was was programmed. He was hypnotized. There's no question hmm. in my mind. We did a, a TV show last, a TV episode last season about Sirhan, and I interviewed his lawyer, William Francis Pepper who also defended uh, James Earl Ray, Martin Luther King's uh, supposed shooter. Um, and then, yeah, then there's that whole assassination field, which is, which is very interesting to me as well. We, you know, how we grab on to one individual, and despite all the evidence to the contrary, it doesn't matter, you know, that, well, no, we, James Earl Ray did it, we, case closed, but wait a second. You, usually a three-named individual. Isn't that odd, isn't it? Yeah, going all the way back to uh, John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chapman is of particular interest to me just because I was, <clears throat> uh, that was such a, a monumental moment uh, in my life 
uh, when Lennon was killed. I was such a, uh, a huge John Lennon fan and um, uh, visited the Dakota on a number of occasions. And we're, again, this season, not to keep plugging, but <laughs> the TV show, we're doing an, an episode on Lennon's um, assassination and whether Chapman was a Manchurian candidate. Hmm. That's coming up in season three? It is, yeah. Have you ever talked to Russell Targ or anyone else in the, like, yeah? Uh, yeah? yeah, I met Russell Targ. I met Russell um, a few months ago up, uh, up at his home in, um, well, he, li- he lives not too far from Stanford University. Um, and uh, this was for an episode on remote viewing that we're doing. Uh, I was hoping that was a sneak, another sneak peek into season three. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, Russell's uh, quite an interesting individual. He's been on the radio show as well. And I, uh, I, had, I wasn't aware. I walked into, his, uh, went into his house, sat down, and uh, he had this uh, book, uh, a biography of Bobby Fischer, of course, the great chess master of all time. And uh, I just casually mentioned, oh, Bobby Fischer, you know, are you a fan? He goes, he, he's my brother-in-law, huh. or was brother-in-law. So I'm not sure now. I can't remember whether Russell's wife was Bobby's sister or whether Russell's sister married Bobby Fisher. So then I made the mistake on returning to Toronto. I was at my boy's school, and the, uh, they have a chess instructor there. And uh, he, he's trying to get my boys interested in this book on Bobby Fisher. And I said, oh, I met Bobby Fisher's brother-in-law. And all of a sudden, he's, he's just this big Serbian fellow. His eyes light up. And he's, he pins me practically into the corner. You know the great Russell Tarr. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like I'm walking on water because I happen to meet Russell Tarr. That is any awesome. connection to Bobby Fisher, you know. That's a great story. Yeah, Targ, Targ's been one of my. Uh, he's on our wish list for sure. He's his fascinating. All that stuff with. Uh, those guys in the Monroe Institute. I mean, it keeps coming up over and over in all these different genres. It's really fascinating. Well, Russell said something very interesting to me. He said, now, there is more, um, there's more evidence uh, that ESP is real, more documented evidence, studies, double blind, whatever you want to call it. There's more evidence of ESP being real than there is that bare aspirin cures headaches. Do you think it's opening up at all in, in the years to come? Do you think we'll, we'll start making any major breakthroughs? Like, I think cannabis is is an inevitable one. I, I foresee that. Like, they can't keep the wrap on that much longer. But is there anything else that you think is just going to become common knowledge 
and we'll we'll be looking back and saying how to, how did how did we even think anything else? Wow, that's a great question. Um, are you just talking generally, or are you talking ESP now, or what are you talking? Uh, uh, just generally. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. I mean, I, I, I talk a lot about UFO disclosure, and a lot mm -hmm. of my colleagues, my good friend Victor Vigiani, yeah. uh, you know, these guys, and Stephen Bassett, yeah. I, I, I admire them. They're working tirelessly, tirelessly and they, they genuinely believe that it's, that, like, for example, official UFO disclosure is just around the corner, yeah. that there's going to be an announcement. I don't see it. I, quite frankly, I don't see it happening in my lifetime. What about small d disclosure? Well, I think that's already happened. Yeah. In many respects. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for those of us who don't necessarily look to, again, the mainstream media for for legitimacy or for, uh, you know, some sort of a official agency to proclaim something, I think, I think, yeah, I, I think small d has is, is already happened. Uh, and will continue to sort of build, and then, but, but I think you know, government bodies and so forth will just continue living the lie as long as they possibly can. Hmm. And I don't even know what small d disclosure means, really. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of come at this from a, a slightly different perspective, and I'm, I'm probably uh, uh, a pariah in in many areas of the UFO community, which is very divided as it is. But I, I happen I, again putting it through my Orthodox Christian filter, I, I do believe we are unique to the universe. I believe the universe was created for us. I think we are in, I mean, even scientifically, we are in, in the ultimate sweet spot. I mean, the universe is incredibly hostile. So I think we are alone in the universe, but I believe these entities uh, are real, but I, I, I suspect that they're more interdimensional rather than, uh, you know, intergalactic. Um, Wow. Whether you want to call them demonic or from the angelic realm or what have you, more spirit than uh, than than anything. But uh, wow. uh, yeah, but that doesn't sit well with a lot of my a lot of my colleagues because yeah. you know many of them think that is, is you know the the knight on the white the white steed that's here to rescue humanity from global warming and or some other nonsense. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't hold that view. Hmm. Well, it's great to hear your your opinion. I don't think I've ever heard you express that before. Um, I have. Maybe I don't do it enough, but uh, <laughs> occasionally, you know, Victor and I, uh, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network, yeah, yeah. Uh, who really sort of introduced me into this whole UFO field. Um, yeah, we've talked about that, and he's he's open to about any, to anything actually. But but guys like Stephen Greer or um, Bassett or uh, I don't know, uh, you name it. You yeah. know, um, Paula uh, Paula Harris. Yeah. Um, I don't think. Yeah, they wouldn't have much time for that. That that point of view. Yeah. To them, ET is our savior. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, Nick Red. I think Nick Redfern's book, The Collins Elite. I think they talk about there's a there's a, a, a faction or a compartment in the government that uh, kind of thinks this is more um, spiritual or demonic than ET or something like that. Really interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a it's a fascinating field, and and uh, uh, I could I could dedicate you know, a three hour show every night just talking about about UFOs and ETs. That's the problem, you know. I got a two hour show on a Sunday night, and there's just too much to, to talk about yeah. and not enough time. So 
do you, do you have any uh, who who do you have coming up if if you can say a couple guests coming up at all or on the radio show yeah yeah, well, uh, this Sunday, we're, uh, it's episode six of the JFK series, so oh, James right. Eudinio will join us. And then uh, Jeffrey Steinberg uh, will be on in the second hour talking about uh, uh, Princess Diana. i got a really cool one, though, coming up on the 22nd of September. Uh, Rodney Asher is a documentary filmmaker. I don't know if you've heard of um, this documentary film that came out earlier this year. It's called Room 237. Oh, yeah. I've heard you talk it's, about it a bit, yeah. Yeah, he's, basically the, the film explores the, the, the hidden meanings behind Stanley Kubrick's um, uh, The Shining. Hmm. And uh, there's a couple of, you know, there's various theories as to what Kubrick was trying to reveal in that movie. One is that uh, it, was, it was a movie uh, talking about the Holocaust. Another theory is that he was talking about the plight of the American Indian. And there's even, uh, of course, you know, the legendary theory that he was basically fessing up to the fact that he hoaxed the uh, the lunar landing. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, well, let's see who else. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a paranormal investigator, she joins me uh, the second Sunday of every month, so she'll be along shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. How about? Uh how about some more sneak peeks from your season three? Ah, boy, let me see now. I, we've produced so many episodes, and a broadcaster hasn't uh, decided which ones they're going to take. Oh. In fact, we've got enough for two more episodes, but I'll, <laughs> I'll throw some names out there. Um, I'm sort of on the assassination uh, front. Uh, so John Lennon, uh, we're, doing a, we're doing one on JFK, and, and, and uh, we're focusing on Oswald and, and um, you know, how he was framed. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, last year was the 50th anniversary of her death, but we're, this year we're doing one on um, whether or not she was murdered and whether RFK was involved. Uh-huh. It seems like he was definitely at her home that night. There doesn't seem to be much doubt about that. Uh, and then, let's see, remote viewing I mentioned. Um, we're doing the Chicago uh, O'Hare UFO incident. Oh, that'll be a good one. 2006. <clears throat> Yeah, I went to Chicago, interviewed uh, the guy from the Tribune, oh. who was the, uh, the the transportation reporter who, who covered that story. And the, the online version of that story got more hits than any story in Chicago Tribune history. Yeah, see, so, you know, isn't that crazy to me? That That's what bugs me about this whole thing about them talking about ratings all the time. Because some of these, some of these uh, classic, like, big UFO stories get these huge hits and huge ratings, and then they just shut them down anyways. I tell you, I would love to be, uh, you know, the, the publisher of a newspaper. I would totally rework the paper, man. I would, I would definitely have the UFO beat. Yeah. I would have, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, you, and you guys could uh, help me run the paper. I think we could, uh, we could show them how to make a, make a buck, you know, and, and give people the, the news that they really want. Even uh, back to that, even back to that CNN uh, streaming live. Uh, weren't weren't they the the station that was streaming live the X conference back uh, back in the early two thousands or something? And they had so much traffic, uh, they shut yes, it they down did. Yes. or something. Yeah, I mean, you know. And then there was that Miles O'Brien series uh, on CNN, and Larry King got interested in yeah. in it as well. Um, and Miles was uh, let go, and yeah. uh, Larry retired, and yeah, now they've got that Joker Pierce Morgan on there. Yeah. I suspect it's MI6. I can't. And uh, <laughs> and they, then they got Strombo on there now, eh? I heard about that. Yeah. I, I know George a little bit because uh, yeah. I used to work with his his good buddy Jim Richards huh. uh, at CFRB. And um, 
I haven't seen George. What is he doing on CNN? Oh, I, I'm not sure. I don't have. I don't even have a TV. So. <laughs> I just you. I just heard yeah. that through another podcast. Yeah, no, apparently he's doing some sort of summer show. Well, I wish yeah. him well. Yeah. Apparently he's all cleaned up. No more jewelry, no more beard. Uh, that's it. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, I was interrupting your uh, your little season three ramble there. Oh, I think I was interrupting myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? Um, sort of on the paranormal side, we're doing uh, an episode on EVPs, electronic voice phenomena. Uh, the Ouija board. Uh, I was up in uh, California interviewing some uh, Bigfoot trackers. We're going to do an episode on Bigfoot, but with a twist. Uh, we're calling it the Psychic Sasquatch. Um, because some of these Bigfoot field researchers uh, attribute the um, aloof, uh, aloof nature of Bigfoot to some sort of psychic ability. Mm-hmm which is kind of strange, I know, on, on the surface. But anyway, so, yeah, Sasquatch. Uh, on the, what else on the UFO front? Uh, the Phoenix Lights. We're doing an episode on the Phoenix Lights. Um, oh, the water engine. Uh, Stanley Myers' water engine, and, whether, you know, Stanley was supposedly knocked off because he figured out how to run a, a, car, a com, uh, internal combustion engine on, uh, on water. Uh, we're doing one on energy healing. Oh, I mentioned nice. remote viewing. Oh, we did. Oh, agenda UN Agenda Twenty One. Oh, my mom will like that one. She's all over. Oh, is she a big, oh, yeah. big fan of that? I forwarded your uh, your Agenda Twenty One podcast to her. So ah, well, give my best regards to your mom. <laughs> <I will. laughs> um, now, some of these actually may not air this year because may, you know the broadcaster may decide that they want some other ones. But you know, if there's a season four, they're ready to go. Oh, good. Um, yeah, we've got about oh close to seventy episodes. Um, you know including seasons one and two shot and in the can and ready to roll. So yeah, I think um, you got, you, did you do Jim Morrison's brother-in-law too? Yes. I interviewed, uh, I interviewed, um, Jim's brother-in-law down in San Diego, uh, or Coronado, uh, off the coast of San Diego. And he was just, it's funny. Um, about three weeks before Ray Manzarek passed away from cancer in a hospital in Germany, um, uh, Jim's brother, uh, I can't, I can't remember his, uh, his name all of a sudden. This is terrible. It's Jim's brother-in-law anyway, a really nice guy, um, Alan, Alan something. Anyway, he was, he and I were emailing back and forth, and he was trying to get uh, Bobby Krieger and Ray Manzarek, Robbie Krieger and Ray Manzarek together in a room uh, for me to go down and interview them about Jim. And then uh, I wake up one morning and I get this email from from Alan saying that uh, Ray passed away. So oh, wow. that's Alan Graham. That I get. Yeah, Alan Graham. Right. Thank you. And um, anyway, so uh, I've got some other people, who, you know, that I interviewed for that episode: uh, Adam Golrightly and um, uh, my good buddy from, uh, the, you know, I call him the Rock and Roll, and where he calls himself the Rock and Roll Investigator, uh, R. Gary Patterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, the whether Morrison faked his death, that episode's uh, good to go. Um, gosh, it always seems like when those really famous people die, just, just people just want to believe that they faked their death, right? Just same with Tupac. And... Yeah, I, you know, I should do an episode. People uh, have emailed me because I kind of get stuck in my classic rock generation mode, <laughs> and I forget, you know, I'm, I'm admittedly not a was not a Tupac fan. <laughs> But it's still a fascinating story, and I, I, I do want to reach out to the, a different demo 
and I mean, there is some there is some fascinating, uh, uh, you know, stuff around the whole Tupac. I mean, I think he's still releasing videos. <laughs> yeah, I think he still does an album a year or two or something. Like Pretty that. much, yeah. He's either very prolific or he is alive. In fact, one night I was doing a radio show years ago at CFRB, and I got a call from a woman, and she this is going back probably 12 years ago, and she had just returned from a vacation in India. And she swore up and down, and she was on this sort of the safari, uh, tourist safari thing. And and Tupac was in her uh, in her in her group. She was absolutely certain that it was him. So, hey, you know what? If um, Machiavelli did it, so why not? Yeah, and he used to always uh, talk about him and seemed to seemed to almost idolize him. That's what I understand. Yeah, but I think it was. Didn't Machiavelli come back seven years later or something? Uh, somehow, yeah, I'm not sure of the exact timing, but yeah, he faked his death and he came back. Have you uh, have you have any guests on to speak about different substances like uh, DMT or uh, uh, psilocybin or anything like that? Uh, yes. Uh, now I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. His brother was a very famous researcher in this field. Dennis talk- McKenna. Yes. So it was McKenna. Dennis passed away, I think, and it was his yeah, brother. Yeah, Terrence. Terrence, yeah. Terrence passed Terrence? away, and Dennis is. Uh, okay, yeah, Terrence passed yeah. away, and I spoke to his brother Dennis several yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, that's a fascinating area, for sure. Um, and then, sort of in a total departure, I, uh, two summers ago, I was I produced and I wrote and created and hosted a a CBC radio doc series called Out of Their Minds. Uh, one of the episodes was about uh, this doctor in uh, California uh, who did these clinical trials, got permission uh, to, um, to use psilocybin uh, to relieve end-of-life anxiety oh, in yeah, cancer yeah. patients. Uh, and it was very successful and, you know, they're Sort of, te- they're, they're they're ongoing with it, but um, yeah. So I touched on it in a, in a couple of different uh, arenas. Uh, yeah, but that's a, you know that's something I'd like to revisit now that you mention it. Yeah, it's kind Thanks. of funny to me, yeah. like especially in the case of uh, psilocybin and and uh, marijuana, how it's two two plants, well, a plant and a mushroom that grow in yeah. basically every corner of the globe, and and uh, they're a Schedule One narcotic. Yes, yeah, um, uh, and, and what is cocaine? Schedule three or something? Yeah, it's yeah, two it's or three. Absurd. Yeah, absolutely absurd. Well, I'm, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, drop a bit of a, an exclusive bomb here. I, I, I may have talked about this actually on the radio, but right. I was in Alberta actually, and I, and I did magic mushrooms once. I was in Red Deer. Oh yeah. And there's a beautiful uh, canyon. Uh, it's kind of a park. You can, it's, I'm not sure the name of the canyon, but it's right in Red Deer. And uh, I was working with an engineering uh, consulting firm at the time, and we were uh, testing roads and so forth. And, uh, you know, just for the public listening, we were not driving at the time. This was on our weekend off anyway, so <laughs> yeah, my yeah. colleagues convinced me to try this. And, uh, um, you know, I, I'd read Island by Aldous Huxley. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it was one of the most uh, remarkable experiences of my life. Yeah. You know, if you do it in the right circumstances yeah. in the future, and uh, this 
beautiful park with these enormous trees, and the setting was ideal, and uh, it was an actu- uh, a spiritually uplifting uh, experience. I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life. I haven't done them since, uh, and I don't think I would at this point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's the hypocrisy when it comes to, uh, you know, the war on drugs is just... Well, it's it's absolutely it's laugh out loud kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a pretty complex uh, subject, though. You can get all the way down into, you know, the CIA and Afghanistan and the poppies and the whole. I mean, it, it just goes it goes so deep. Yeah, how opium production has gone up like tenfold since uh, yeah, since, since the, war. the war on terror. Oh yeah, no, yeah. The the motive for the war on drugs has nothing to do with obviously protecting the public from themselves. Uh, yeah, all the, the motives that you just outlined, I think, are are spot on. It has to do with, you know, uh, keeping a, um, a particular price point on these products, uh, you know, creating an artificial scarcity. Uh, yeah, it's supply and demand. And um, uh, I read a statistic once that if they were to legalize uh, drugs, uh, the economy of the entire U.S. Eastern Seaboard would collapse. I mean, all of that money that goes, that gets funneled into "quote unquote" legitimate enterprises, including huge real estate de- developments and so forth. Um, I mean, how many banks, reputable banks, up here in Canada, uh, have been caught laundering drugs? Human islands and so forth. Oh, can you repeat that? You, you broke up there for a second. That's a good part. Uh, well, Canadian, so-called reputable Canadian banks have been caught a number of times. Oh, somebody, somebody doesn't want you to say that, Richard. Ah, we're uh, being jammed, are we? Yeah, we're being jammed right when you, <laughs> right when you're talking about that. Try again. Reputable banks laundering drug money here there in Canada. Go. How's that? There reputable banks in Canada laundering drug money in places like the Cayman Islands. I mean, that's yeah. in the newspapers. I'm not making that stuff up. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, and I heard even, yeah, like Bank of America and tons of them. Well, I watched a documentary a while back about uh, how, when, how when they did the cocaine The cocaine cowboys. Down, and, yeah, how yeah. many uh, banks down in the southern United States were going out of business. <laughs> right, right. Well, and uh, when Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas, uh, I mean, that was where the CIA were, were flying in all the cocaine from uh, Central, Amer- Central America. And uh, according, uh, or allegedly, I mean, he was getting huge kickbacks for looking the other way. That's funny. Like I, was that, actually, yeah. I was listening to No Agenda the other day, and they have a, a death poll on, on Bill Clinton on, on when Hillary's going to have him killed for sympathy in the 2016 election. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I... Uh, I, I just had Joel Skousen on uh, last week. He's the editor of World Affairs Brief. I have him on from time to time, and I ran out of time, but I was hoping to get in. He just published this major story on on the Clinton Foundation and the, the allegations of, of corruption, which are pretty, you know, pretty well documented and well known, going back to the, you know Vince Foster and. Yeah, he's one of my favorite uh, regular guests that you have on. Cool. That's good to know. Yeah, he. I, I have to start following that. Uh, I'm going to sign up for his newsletter there. I like the Chaga yeah, I, guy. What's that? The Chaga guy. I forget his name. Oh, uh, Dr. Uh, oh, Cass Ingram. Yeah, Cass yeah, Ingram. yeah, that's it. 
Yeah, I've known Cats forever. I, uh, I used to book him on when I was producing CFRB back in the early 90s. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we should have him on. Yeah, I think I, I think I emailed him. Or maybe I Facebooked him or something like that. That <laughs> probably never gets checked. But yeah, he, he be, fascinates yeah, you could, me. Well, he's, he's, he's a great guest because he's so passionate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about, you know, herbs and spices and oregano and... and yeah, he you know, got me onto oregano, actually. Yeah? Did it work? Uh, yeah, I'm, I ran out, actually, but yeah, I was taking, like, a drop a day, and, and it seemed like I felt better for a while. It was what? pretty intense. It was way more intense than I was expecting the really? first time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oil of oregano, a few drops into the tongue. Oh, yeah, that'll, uh, that'll wake you up. Yeah, it'll wake your fire not, not, not to do a plug for Cass, not he doesn't need it, but um, what, one of our little guys um, woke up, this is maybe when he was two years old, two and a half, and uh, delirious with a fever, and, and if, I don't know if you guys are parents, but, you know, it's for kids to spike, but it, it's frightening when it happens, especially when you go in their room and they're, like, delirious, and this little guy, I just scooped him up in my arms and took him into our room, and um, he didn't know where he was, and, and he had that sort of that telltale cough. It's like a, you know, what do you call a whooping cough. And we thought, oh, boy, here we go. So, um... I, not too long before, and he, whenever he comes, he gives me like a box of that stuff. So, and he always, you know, told me to rub it up and down the spine and on the balls of the feet. So we did that with my little guy. Hmm. Put him to bed, expecting, okay, in the next, you know, we're gonna have a, you know, the next several days or whatever, he's gonna have a really bad cough. And uh, the next morning, nothing, not a fever, which, you know, fevers and kids are often transient anyway. But the cough. He was definitely in the early throes of like a whooping cough or something. I mean, I've heard that cough many times, and it was gone. It was gone. And I have a sister who's a nurse, and she um, she'll she put some drops inside her surgical mask. And, you know, you know, like flies with with flu and all of this stuff, and she gets. Hmm. Yeah, I gotta I gotta try that stuff. Have, what uh, what are your thoughts on like you must have you must have heard a lot of stuff on vaccinations and stuff like that? Um, did that make any decisions tough for you as a parent? Yeah, uh, it's one thing to talk about it on the air and on the radio and TV and and um, listen to these people who sound you know seem very credible and quite frankly you know put put the scare of God and me about vaccinating my children. But then when it comes your time and you go into the doctor's office and, and, you know, he's the one that's had seven years of medical school and, and, um, it's very intimidating. So what ended up happening was we, we had some vaccinations. Um, then we started to push back on, on many of the others and we're very fortunate. Our, um, our, our doctor, our my boy's a doctor, is a, is a close family friend that I've known for 40 years. He's known me since I was a baby. So he knew when to back off and um, just didn't push it anymore. So, yeah, there, our children have some vaccinations, but they didn't get multiples that a lot of kids get. You know, you go in there and you get shots at once or what have you. We didn't do any of that. I think they got chicken pox and maybe mumps and 
measles, like one, one of each, and then that was, and then we did any more. Yeah, that's kind of, well, we actually, we didn't do any. Um, we were lucky we had a doctor that was actually really supportive of, of our decisions, so it made it a lot easier to, yeah. to go down that road. Yeah, it's tough for parents, you know, because you, you, you're torn. You, you, want, you're, you want the best for your kids, but you really, ultimately, we don't know. Do we? I mean, we're, we're it's taking like our the best experiment path. hasn't been run out long enough, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's only been a generation and a half or something like that. Like, we don't really know what the long-term effects yeah. are. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think, I don't think there's any doubt, you know, with the, the oral polio vaccine that that caused cancer, and we're still living with that. Um, and with the other stuff, I just, I think, you know, if you, you eat a healthy diet, you, God, you just you do simple things like you wash your hands, you know, and you, you, um, you build up your immune system in, in a good natural way, eat a healthy diet and so forth. I don't, I, I don't think you need a lot of that stuff. Yeah. No, no, I think diet's really important. My my wife and my daughter eat eat uh, a lot better than I do. I, I eat well. I eat good at home, but you know when I'm out at work, I'm, I tend to sneak off and get a good old greasy hamburger or something like that. Well, you got to you got to do what you do to survive. You know they say you know give up smoking. Will I live any longer? No, but it'll seem like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I, I'm a smoker too, so I think you need to listen to Casper Ingram a little bit more, Darren. We need to get him on the show, and that'll change your diet. Yeah, maybe. Well, we eat uh, mostly organic at home. We make sure we get all natural meat that's yeah. uh, hormone and antibiotic free, and and all that. Oh, that's what you guys have to discuss the whole uh, GMO thing. See, Darren's a big, uh, you know, like faking faking these meats and making them for. Uh, to solve the world's hunger problems, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think it's inevitable in mankind's future that we'll be, well, I think personally that we'll be looking back and and absolutely blown away that our ancestors used to actually eat animals. And... Well, uh, and again to plug the show, we are doing a, a, an episode on GMOs. You keep reminding me. I keep forgetting which ones we've done, but we are doing GMOs. We're doing fluoride. Oh. We're doing. Um, uh, cancer cures. Anyway, with the, uh, the GMOs, well, uh, as someone pointed out to me when we were producing this, this episode, you know, we've been genetically modifying uh, food for thousands of years. You know, when someone takes pollen from one plant, and, you know, my dad used to have a hobby, he would um, splice different varieties of roses onto one rose bush. Hmm. And I have an uncle who does that with plums, right? So you got, we call it the jello tree. That's a plum tree, and it's got like five varieties of plums on growing on <laughs> one tree. It's called splicing, and it's a real skill and an art to it. So that's genetically modifying an well, organism. We did the same thing with dogs, horses. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's, the, it's, the, it's this Roundup-ready uh, nonsense that, that bothers me, like, um, you know, developing a, um, a corn plant or a soy plant that's Roundup-ready so it'll... It'll soak up as much Roundup as as needed to keep the uh, you know the insects at bay or whatever. Yeah, I'm kind uh, of against the privatization in general. Like to me, that's something that should be. So, well, unfortunately, the governments are just as fucking terrible, so it's tough. But like, I think the science is sound. 
Um, in some things, there, for example, there's um, a type of uh, rice. I'm trying to think of the name of the rice. But it's um, basically what they did was they developed this rice that produces, I think, naturally produces a protein, protein, protein or yeah. a vitamin A. Yeah. And um, it'll prevent blindness because, you know, three-quarters of the world population, they subsist on rice, but it doesn't have uh, the keratin or whatever in the rice, and because you have, um, you know, blindness is a huge problem in the third world. Children, you know, going blind because they don't have the carrot in their diet. So they've developed this rice, uh, which produces it, which it ordinarily wouldn't. So, I mean, there's an instance, I think, where genetically modified food could be good. But if it's producing these proteins in the plant as a natural, supposed sort of, or as a uh, creating a protein, so that the plant is producing its own insecticide, you know that protein gets into the into the gut of an insect and and uh, causes it to, to hemorrhage or whatever. That protein, what happens to that protein when it comes in, goes inside the human? You know, they're finding it in breast milk and, and things like that. Mm. So I'm not convinced that the science is all in on that, particularly when you look at like. Who are the watchdogs now for the Food and Drug Administration? Yeah. They're all ex-Monsanto people. Yeah. The yeah, food star, yeah, the food czar is a former VP of Monsanto. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't trust. I don't trust them. No. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all GMOs are, are bad either. Well, and the fact that you, don't they have to replant every year or something too? Like, it, it also changes the whole uh, sustainability of the, of the crops too. Well, they were they were talking about developing a, a self-terminating seed, so that it wouldn't produce seeds, so that the farmer would be forced to go back to yeah, Montana so to every year. But, every but year. that, but yeah, but that that um, self-terminating seed uh, never never made it to market. Whether wow. they tested it, it didn't work. Yeah, that was one of those sort of that legends, urban legends out there oh. that the terminator seed. But but apparently, I've been told by numerous sources that it doesn't exist. They, they were working on. That. They were they, working yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> but it never came to market. But yeah, so you you're basically looking, from what I understand, about there are seven plants, seven crops that are GMO. There's corn. There's soy. There's canola. There's alfalfa. There's cotton, um, which often ends up in cattle feed. Uh, there's uh, bottleneck squash and papaya. Huh. Those are the seven, and then, but that's not including, you know, animals. I, I was just, uh, I saw this story, uh, story the other day out of the UK. This GMO bull, a GMO cow, it's got 40% more musculature than the average cow. I don't know if you've seen pictures of this thing, but it's no. an absolute freak show. It looks like <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. And um, the, the milk that they, it produces has incredibly high uh, percentages of protein. The problem is these these creatures are so muscular that even the calves are born muscular and their tongues sometimes are so large that the calf chokes to death, you know, in an infant, in infancy. Oh my God, this thing looks crazy. Yeah, I'm looking at it online right now. You're yeah. seeing it now? Yeah. 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 How would you like, uh, how'd you like to <laughs> have your hamburger made out of that thing? Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. pretty crazy. And the, and the calves are dying because of the tongue? That's They're, one of the reasons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the tongue swell. And they choke. What do they need that for? What's the point of making that thing? I don't know. It has something to do with the protein in the milk or something. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, that seems like trouble to me. 
Or maybe it's just out. because they can. Yeah, that's what I think, yeah. Did you see uh, Buddy eating that $350,000 burger there was a couple weeks ago? No. They had the uh, first lab-grown uh, hamburger. Yeah, they had three people tasting it, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. $350,000 hamburger, and it, why, why was it so expensive? Because uh, the lab was 100%, or the meat was 100% grown in a laboratory. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Now, I think they said it was good, but it wasn't really... They would like if it was more juicy. Yeah, it wasn't quite fatty enough or something. That was too lean. <laughs> oh, Lord. Throw some bacon no. in there and away you go. Uh, I like my, my meat free range. Thank you very much. Yeah. So um, do you have uh, anything else you'd like to uh, talk about? Wow, no, I think that's... I think that's everything really haven't we yeah i think so so um one thing i'd i'd like to ask before we let you go is um do, would, would we ever have to worry about uh tv maybe luring you uh, away from radio or is radio kind of your your first love and, and you'll be sticking around with that uh through and through so i just let this plane uh, pass over yeah no problem on its way to pearson <laughs> yeah let's give it about 10 seconds and then if you want to re-ask i'll Okay, go ahead. So do we, do we have to have any uh, worries about uh, TV luring you away from radio, or, or is radio kind of uh, your first gig and, and your, your first love? And... Yeah, radio definitely is my first love. I mean, the, the, you guys know it. The, the immediacy of it, the uh, intimacy, the romance, there's nothing like late-night radio knowing that uh, you have... Um, not a passive listener like you would, let's say, if you're doing the drive-home show and there's somebody carpooling it with four other people in the car and they're in the car and out of the car in 15 minutes. You've got a captive audience, you know, for two hours. They're, you're in their bedroom. You're in their head. If they've got an earbud, they've got earbuds in. You're in their living room, what have you. And you have their undivided attention. And late-night listeners, I find, are among the most uh, educated most uh, interesting, most passionate, um, and um, I don't ever see myself giving up the radio. I've, I mean, I've invested so much time and energy now in trying to build up this network, this little fledgling network, uh, that I don't see myself throwing that away. TV, there's, there's no question, you know, it pays better, um, and it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy the travel. I enjoy, enjoy you know, flying to different places and meeting new people and so forth, and uh the camaraderie and the, uh, the collaborating, you're working with a crew, which is kind of fun. Where with radio, it's just, you know, I'm just stuck in this little closet and it's looking through the glass at my producer blinking at me and that's just the <laughs> two of us, that's it, you know. It, it, can, be, it can be kind of lonely. Yeah, um, isn't podcasting great two-hour? It can just kind of take that, that two-hour show and, and expand the audience to the people who can't, can't stay up late on a Sunday night, you know what I mean? And, and then... Like, podcast, the podcast must have really extended your reach, so to speak. I get more feedback from the podcast than, than the live show, quite frankly, because of the reach. It, it's, yeah, it, it's like this spider web, you know? It goes out there, and then it creates another spider web, and before you know it, I'm getting emails from a guy who listens to my podcast as he's delivering mail by moped in the outback in Australia. Yeah. And I'm getting a, um, uh, an email from a guy in New York who's an artist who's in this big loft painting these big murals who listens to my show and 
it's yeah, the, the, it's always a kick, you know, it's when people email you telling you where they're hearing the show from and, you know, how they listen to the show, what they take away from the show. That's very um, gratifying. Yeah, I've been listening to your podcast since I've been listening to podcasts, which is probably five. Have you been on that long? Five years, six years? Uh, four years four at years. Uh, Zoomer, and then I think they were podcasting when I was at CFRB. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been it's been great, and and we really appreciate your, you know, coming on the show and and spending your time and getting a little personal with us. And um, I I didn't even realize that uh, we probably could have. We just really scratched the surface. I mean, we probably could have gone a lot deeper into a lot, a lot of these other other topics. So, I mean, maybe we can do this again sometime. Yeah, you give me a call anytime, guys. Darren and Graham, a real pleasure uh, speaking with you tonight. Thank you. Well, that was our chat with uh, Richard Serrett from The Conspiracy Show. What would you think? Yeah, it was great. Great conversation. Richard's been at it a while, and uh, and he's really talked to a lot of people, so it's interesting to get his perspective uh, on a few things. There was a few things that uh, kind of caught me off guard that I wouldn't expect, but all in all, it was a great chat. Yeah, I think he was, he was really knowledgeable about a, a broad range of these topics. Yeah, and as usual, uh, we, we managed to get a pretty uh, intimate and uh, interactive interview. It seems like people are, are, are comfortable to open up with us, so that's uh, good to hear. Yeah, hopefully it's a kind of casual, raw style that we uh, have. <laughs> yeah, so you guys can always check out Richard's work at richardserrett.com. And uh, The Conspiracy Show is a podcast as well as a, a radio show. We'll link to all of that in the, in the show notes, of course. Yeah, and his TV shows, uh, season one and two are on visiontv.ca. That's www.visiontv.ca. Yeah, so and uh, we'll keep an eye on it and maybe have Richard on again in the future, maybe after season three of The Conspiracy Show is uh, finished airing. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, coming up next, we're going to have Lauren Coleman, so you guys can go ahead and send in your questions or tweet your questions to us for, for him. Uh, Red Pill Junkie is going to sit in for the interview. He's a big big fan of Lauren's and pretty excited to talk to him, so uh, he wants to sit in on the interview, and we're happy to have him. Yeah, that's going to be uh, a good one. Challenging for me, I'm, that's probably like uh, my area of least uh, knowledge, that crypto stuff. I'm looking forward to it, though. It's good for you. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Maybe we'll see what he thinks about the Bigfoot uh, burying his the, shit video. Remember the, with the yeah, yeah. Japanese tourists? Yeah, or the psychic Bigfoot uh, theory. Um, oh, yeah, the face, we're up to like 50 likes on Facebook. So All thanks, right. guys. Let's keep it going. I still uh, haven't logged on yet. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash Grimerica. Uh, it's at Grimerica on Twitter. Yeah, and email us uh, at Graham. Or email me at graham at grimerica.com. That's G-R-A-H-A-M. Yeah, and I'm Darren at grimerica.com. And uh, as usual, guys, we'll have links to all of Richard's stuff, uh, uh, anything we talked about in this episode, and, of course, all the music that you heard as well. Uh, but I think that about wraps this one up. I don't know if you have anything else, Graham. Uh, no, that's about it. Just uh, looking forward to uh, to the next episode. Okay, guys, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ciao.
about nighttime eternal. Sh Do you know what this means? It's imperative that the princess is told right away. Oh, <laughs> Nightmare moon. <laughs> My little pony. My little pony. Uh... <laughs> Holy she knows where the princess is. Elements, elements. How can I stop Nightmare Moon without the elements of harmony? And just what are the elements of harmony? Are you a spy? No! It is located in what is now... <laughs> the Everfree Forest! We're sticking to you like sh on a sh apple. Mm -hmm. Especially if there's sh apples in there. None of you have been in here before? <laughs> sh oh my goodness, oh my goodness! Oh, sorry, girls. I'm not used to f***ing anything more than a bunny or two. And once Pinky and Rarity were safe, sh me and Fluttershy looked a loop around and what? My hair! a rest from all this shitty muck. That ancient ruin could be right in front of our faces and we wouldn't even know it. I didn't see you. My apologies. Right here. <laughs> 
Oh, wait. I think I stepped in Well, I don't know. I was just sitting here, minding my business, when this little cloud of purple smoke just whisked past me and tore half of my mustache clean off. And now I look horrid. That's what all the is about? Why, of course it is! What did you do that for? Rarity, what are you- <gasps> We can cross now! Let's go! Twilight! Wait for us! We're almost there! <laughs> What's with you and falling off today? Now what? Duh. a spark will cause the sixth element to be revealed. What in the f is that supposed to mean? Uh, you little sh Thinking you could defeat me! What? Applejack, who me when I was in doubt, represents the spirit of honesty. Fluttershy, who the manticore with her represents the spirit of kindness. Pinkie Pie, who banished fear by in the face of danger, represents the spirit of Laughter! Rarity, who calmed a sorrowful serpent with a meaningful gift, represents the spirit of generosity. And Rainbow Dash. You still don't have the sixth element. The spark didn't work. But it did. What the fuck? And that's how Equestria was made. Look at mine! Look at mine! F yeah. Gee, Twilight, I thought you were just spouting a lot of sh Will you accept my friendship? I'm so sorry. I missed you so much, big sister. I've missed you too. Spike, take a sh please. Isn't this exciting? Are you excited? Because I'm excited. I've never been so excited. 